outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 295. And today in the show, we put together possibly the greatest panel of saddle hunters in the history of podcasting to cover everything you need to know to become a saddle hunter. And now let's get to the show. And as I mentioned, we have an incredible roundtable of saddle hunters here today to cover everything from the basics of saddle hunting right up to the expert level tricks and tips and next level stuff. I think more comprehensively than we've ever done before on the show, we cover everything you could possibly need to know to get going with a saddle. And you'll hear me say this in the interview here in a few minutes, but I want to reiterate it here at the top. I think you guys have noticed that I'm not big on pushing gear. Hopefully over the years you've noticed that I'm not hammering you guys about needing this product or needing this one or name dropping this brand or that brand. I really don't like doing that very much because just personally when I'm consuming or listening or watching other hunting media, I find it really annoying when other people are doing that. So I try to avoid that as much as possible. But in some cases when I really am like very or very interested, very excited, really jacked about something, I do think it's worth sharing. And this is one of those cases where like, I truly, honestly am so personally excited about how a saddle has changed my own hunting that I just can't help but share it with you guys and try to get some information out there for you guys because I really do think this is an option that can help a lot of people. And based off of the feedback and questions I've been getting over the last year since I first started talking about saddle hunting and using it myself, it seems like there's a lot of interest and intrigue out there from you guys too. So, helping us cover off on all things saddle hunting, we have the DIY deer hunting guru and my good buddy, Andy May. We have the godfather of saddle hunting and legendary Michigan bow hunter, John Eberhardt. And we have super longtime saddle hunters and now manufacturers of the tethered brand saddle, Greg Godfrey and Ernie Power to round out the crew. So without further ado, I welcome you to the ultimate. <laughs> and, and just let me take this back. 
imagine I didn't say that. And now just imagine this in an announcer's voice, like uh, like a WWF announcer's voice. And I can't do it, so I'm not going to do a good job here. But just imagine maybe Joe Rogan, UFC announcer, saying, Welcome to the Ultimate Saddle Hunting Roundtable. Boom, boom, boom. I'm so weird. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy this one. All right. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. We're doing another one of those mobile podcasts, and it's particularly titled when I say mobile podcast. I'm actually talking about the fact that we are recording this in a mobile studio. We're in a hotel room, more of a suite, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. We're in a suite in South Central Michigan, and I'm joined by an all-star cast of mobile hunters, saddle hunters. (laughs) We have, from left to right... We got Ernie Power from Tethered. Yep. How many years of saddle hunting experience do you have, Ernie? I, I over ten, but I'd have a hard time pinning it down. I, okay. I really would. It's just it's just something that I did and never kept track of until I joined the forum. And you know, I could go back and find like when I started on the forum and when I started talking there. But as far as when I started saddle hunting, I was kind of doing it before I knew what saddle hunting was. I was a tree trimmer for a bunch of years, and I just saw the advantage of using my work equipment for deer hunting. Yeah. I didn't know saddle hunting was a thing at the time. I was just like, I spend so much time in a tree anyways, this is an easy way to get in, and I don't have to carry a tree stand. And But back then, I mean, I was, well, John will hate this, but it, I was hunting with uh, the same equipment that I trimmed trees in. So it was soaked in gas and oil. It was full of metal <laughs> banging, you know, metal carabiners and clips and whatever, but I was primarily rifle hunting. So I could sit on a field edge and, and watch the other side of the, the field and be in pretty good shape at yeah, that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. My scent control regimen had a lot to be desired. So the short answer to that is a long time saddle hunting. Ride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. Andy May is our next all-star. How many years in the saddle do you think you've been running? I started uh, using a saddle uh, probably 2003, 2004 is when I, when I first started. Um, and then it's kind of been on and off since then um, due to just finding one that fit me best. You know, um, definitely saw the value in, just couldn't find uh, the right fit for me until recently. But yeah, uh, 2003, 2004 is when I started. Okay. Our third guest has been running a saddle longer than I think I might have been alive. John, how long, John Eberhardt here, how long have you been using a saddle for? 38 years. You've been using a saddle longer (laughs) than I've been alive, right there. Started in 1981. That's amazing. First year they came out onto the market. You've been preaching the gospel ever since. I would never consider hunting out of anything else. What does it feel like to you today when you see this thing that you've been telling people about for years and years and years saying, you got to try a saddle, you got to try it, you got to try it. No one was listening. No one was listening. Now it's really the thing. It's quite buzzy right now. Everyone's trying it. Is it, is it one or two things for you? Is it number one, very, uh, fulfilling, ingratiating. Like you finally, they finally got it. You feel like you finally done, did your job. People caught on, or is it these bastards are just like jumping on the, the train now. It's like being a golden state warriors fan. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've been, I've been talking about this forever. <laughs> no, it's, it's the first one. Uh, I've been preaching it forever. It's in yeah. all three of my books. I've got a chapter devoted to saddle hunting yeah. in each of my books, but as much as I tried to promote it, 
I wasn't very good at promoting it. And then uh, Greg and Ernie, Greg Godfrey and Ernie Power from uh, Tethered, they got into it last year, jumped both feet in, and uh, they have marketed it correctly. And they're the ones uh, I credit the whole buzz to. You know, Trophy Line, When even when Trophy Line came out with theirs in the late 1990s, you know, and then through the mid-2000, you know, 2008, I think, is when they went out of business somewhere in there. They just didn't market it very well. It just didn't catch on. Now, these guys with social media the way it is today and Greg being a master at social media and Ernie being a master at engineering and getting things right, they're the ones that have brought it to where it's at. There is no way on God's green earth saddle hunting and the cult following it almost has right now would not be there without these two guys. So I credit it to them. And that brings us to our last man at the table, Greg Godfrey from Tethered. Hmm. How long have you been rocking a saddle? I have been rocking a saddle since 2009. So right at, this will probably be my 10th year. Your 10th. 10th season. Yeah, this season. I've been doing it for one year. <laughs> <laughs> so so what I'm going to do here is mostly just shut up and listen. Because I've learned a lot in my one year, but I have realize there's lots and lots and lots more out there. And there's so many questions right now around saddle hunting because it's now becoming a thing that people have heard about now. They are intrigued by it. More and more people are jumping on board and saying, hey, it actually works. It's actually pretty awesome. And so now there's all these all these additional questions. Well, tell me about this. Tell me about that. What about this situation? What about that scenario? Is it going to work for me? It couldn't work for this. Today, I'm hoping with this collection of people, we can drill into all those commonly asked questions. We can get into some next level pro tips from some of the most experienced people out there. Um, and I don't think we have to do this given where we are today in the last couple of years, how far it's come along. But I still think we need to make a little bit of a sales pitch as far as why should I consider a saddle? So for each one of you, I'm curious, one reason, like your top reason you can think of for why it's worth using a tree saddle. John, go. Mobility. Andy? Uh, decrease in bulk. Ernie? Um, I'm going to say tree selection. Explain, just a tiny bit. Um, I'm able to set up with a saddle and trees that I would walk away from in a normal tree stand. Um, you know, in, in a climbing if you're carrying a climbing tree stand, you're looking for the tree that works for your climbing tree stand. If you're carrying, you know, any kind of a lock on, you're looking for something that works for that. And with the saddle, I think it just opens up my doors a lot more. Um, one of my favorite types of trees would be a big gnarly oak that, that starts out, you know, three, four feet across at the base, goes up seven feet, goes into a branch and a whole bunch of branches. And, you can't get a climber in that tree. It's just not happening. You can get a lock-on in there, but by the time you climb up to your lock-on height and try and pull that lock-on up through the branches and try and get it up there, to, you're making a just a nightmare of noise. And uh, for me, it was just having that diversity of tree. Um, well, then, and I just think it's more fun. It's the other thing. But, um, yeah, the, the ability to hunt any tree instead of hunting for the tree that works with your equipment. For sure. What about you, Greg? Man, it's hard to pick one, but uh, I would have to piggyback off what Andy said with the low bulk, also the low weight. I mean, they kind of go hand in hand, so if I had to pick another one, I'd probably say safety. But but for me, it was always the pursuit of the most ultralight efficient system I could possibly find. So if I had to pick one, I'd say weight. Yeah. 
100% have experienced all those things since finally trying one. And I'll add one more thing, which is the fact that it can be a huge cost savings because I just went through my first off-season with a saddle. And so usually most off seasons, I'd be like, all right, I need like four more tree stands. Got to get another couple more sets. And I got to upgrade my, my portable stand, whatever. This year I was like, oh, I'm prepping like 15 new trees and I don't need a single tree stand. Nope. I'm just going to climb up my saddle, climb on down. I'm good to go. And Nobody I, can steal it either. No, that's a, that's something that at least I didn't think about as much on the front end, but this year was like, all right, I'm on board with that. And I think, well, it's kind of like at the front end with cost, it can be a little daunting because if you were to go and look at everything you can buy and if you're looking at it from a mobile perspective and you're factoring in sticks and the saddle and then, then all this other stuff that can go with it, it can get up there pretty quick. Yeah. But like you said, you buy once and cry once and then you're done. Then you're done. I'm hunting out of the same saddle for the last 38 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to switch this this season, but I've hunted out of the same exact one for 38 seasons. And probably six to 700 different trees I've prepped during that time, I would say. And so your only additional cost every year is just like 2,000 tree pegs? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually it. Yeah, that's yeah. A new hammer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but there's a lot more advantages. If you, I don't know if you want to get into more advantages. Oh, we'll certainly get into them. More, yeah, what else do you have, John? Let's keep talking. Let's uh, keep talking about Well, to go a little bit on what Ernie said, you know, it's, it, when you're hunting a destination location, typically with a tree stand, a lot of times you have to set up off the side of a destination location and sit on one or two runways that feed a destination spot, like a primary scrape area or a white oak or apple tree or something. Whereas with a saddle, there's rarely a situation where there's not a tree at a destination spot that you can hunt. Uh, so that's one thing. You can hide behind the tree, use the tree as a buffer, especially at a destination mm -hmm. area where you're going to have multiple does and some fawns, maybe some subordinate bucks hanging out at an apple tree or at a white oak tree or some sort of a food location. Uh, you know, with a tree stand, you're kicked off to the side of the tree somewhat, so you have a shot to that destination spot. Whereas in a saddle, you use the tree as a buffer between you and the destination spot so they can't see you. The mm -hmm. trunk's between you and the animal. And you just peek around to the corner, and then when you get an opportunity to take the shot you want, you just slightly lean to your side and you take that shot. And nobody... You know, public land hunting, nobody can hunt your spot when you're not there. You know, theft is one thing, but nobody can hunt your tree stand when you're not yeah. there either because it's mm -hmm. with you. Um, there's just And safety, it's, it's definitely safer than any tree stand out there because you are tethered to the tree from the moment you leave the ground until you put your feet back on the ground. I feel like that's one of those things, though, from the outside. There's a lot of questions. I get so many questions like, you actually feel safe in that thing? That looks sketchy. Just like it's so, so small, it's around your waist. It seems less, I mean, I think from an outsider view, having not tried it, it just seems less comfortable to what we're used to versus just standing on a metal platform with a seat and you're wearing a full harness. It's just so different. But once you actually try it, you realize, I don't know, I don't know how I could fly. I couldn't jump out of my saddle if I mm -hmm. wanted to. No, and another thing that I always like to point out is the, the difference in intent from the way you use them. So in a tree stand, your safety harness, first of all, if you wear one, your safety harness is designed to catch your fall. You fall in and then hopefully that thing catches you. Well, with a saddle, the difference in intent is that it's designed to prevent your fall. Mm -hmm. The difference in, in catching and preventing is m maybe subtle but big at the same time because if you fall from a tree stand, you know, if you have a tree stand harness, now it's hopefully saved you. And now you're dealing with self-rescue. And 
there are lots and lots and lots of cases where people have gotten injured. And I, I believe, John, you probably know this more better than anyone, but I think there's even some cases where people have died from suspension trauma due to safe uh tree stand safety harnesses now obviously that's like the worst of the worst case scenarios so it wouldn't be fair to focus on that but it's also dishonest if you don't recognize that that threat is there whereas from a a saddle the worst thing that can happen is you could really flip upside down maybe if you were doing some seriously acrobatic stuff and then you know you just have to pull yourself back upright but the difference between preventing a fall and catching a fall is big I imagine some serious bruises and pokes and scratches would be evidence of that too. Yeah. I've I've yet to have to test the safety harness, but I always wondered like that can't be a comfortable thing to fall even even though you might just fall at 2 feet or something swinging and bang against the tree. Yeah, maybe you hit your maybe you hit your ladder, maybe you hit your climbing spikes, maybe you hit something. Got to believe you pinched some stuff that wouldn't be good. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> no. Yeah, this is so funny. So, so all that's to say you're bringing us back to lunch. Bringing us back to lunch. Yeah, really. <laughs> just how we started the conversation earlier today. <laughs> you guys can just imagine how our conversations start here at lunch. Um but all this is to say is that this is something this this conversation we're about to have is something worth listening to. I've been kind of hammering it for the last year. John's been hammering it for decades. Um, this thing is legit. The whole saddle hunting idea really has been a light bulb moment for me personally. And there's I, I, I avoid talking about gear as much as possible because there's so many people out there in the hunting world who are talking about gear and pimping this product or pimping that product and and it just it's overwhelming it's too much it's annoying almost all of it's just paid for and so because of that even like companies i work with I, i don't do like hard talks about them a whole lot i'll use it i'll share my experiences but i don't do hard sells at all um this has been one of those products that ever since I started using Saddle last year that I actively have been excited to be like, hey, guys, I'm doing you a favor by telling you this is something worth looking at. Like, it really is. Um, and so that's why I'm excited that we're all here together to get some really next-level perspectives. I think we should cover some of the entry-level questions still. We've talked about them before. I've done videos. John's done a bajillion interviews about them. We've all talked about the beginner stuff, but it's worth covering still. And then we'll kind of work our way into that next-level mm-hmm. stuff. So at a high-level... Maybe, maybe Greg, maybe, maybe anyone who wants to jump in here can kick us off with what are like the, the starter must have items? Because I get a lot of questions right now, like which pieces do I actually need? Like in the case of what you guys have with Tether, there's a whole bunch of different accessories, options. Mm-hmm. You can get the kit, you can do out cart. Mm-hmm. Um, what do I need to be dangerous and actually get out there? So at the, at the outset, you've got to have a saddle, obviously. And there's a, there's a handful of companies really only two or three right now that are making a commercially available product. Um, You don't have to buy my saddle. Uh, It's a good one, but you don't have to buy it. There's other ones out there, but you need a saddle. You need something to do uh, to put your feet on and you need a couple of ropes. Uh, Like John mentioned at the beginning, you're tethered to the tree from the ground to the to hunting height, but that takes a couple of different ropes. We use two rope systems. One we call a lineman belt, which is a climbing assist rope. And then once you get to the top of your climbing method, you know, whatever you choose to use, whether it's screw in steps or 
freaking railroad crazy nails like John uses, <laughs> or if you're using lone wolf sticks or helium sticks or whatever it is you choose to use to climb the tree, once you get to the top and you've used your lineman belt to climb, now you've got to tie yourself into the tree. We call that rope a tether. So at the end of the day, you're going to need a saddle, you're going to need a lineman belt, you're going to need a tether, and then you're going to need something to rest your feet on. And you can do a million different you can do that a million different ways. I mean, just sitting around this room, we've probably tried 50 different ways to use for a platform. John loves his steps. I love a platform. Um, Mark, I know you've used a platform mm -hmm. and probably some steps too. Same for you, Andy and Ernie. He's used them all. I mean, I've stood on branches. I've stood on the hops of climbing sticks. So there's no shortage of things to do with your feet. But those are the four things that I think you absolutely must have. A saddle a platform of some sort and a couple of ropes. Beyond that, it's just what works for your setup. Do you want pouches? Do you not want pouches? Do you want a way to hang your stuff in your in the tree? You can go that. You can go down the rabbit hole as far as you want with that, but just from a, a base perspective, I think you need about four things. So then what are the next level little accessories or things that you guys use? Because I've always kept it pretty simple. I stick to just that. I don't mm -hmm. like anything else up there with me, but I know a lot of people add things or take things and modify their saddle setups or different things like that. When you're going up there in the tree, what else, what else, if anyone, if there's anything else for you me, guys hop in with? Yeah, for me, uh, one of the, the best things, I, I have a, a pretty bad lower back. I had a herniated disc and I got some pretty significant disc degeneration. So um, sitting in a traditional tree stand is pretty uncomfortable for me, no matter what it is, even the, the summit climbers. Um, but with the saddle, um, you know, Tethered makes a, a, this item called a backband. And it's just this really kind of small strap, doesn't weigh anything, fits, fits right in the little pouch on the side of the saddle. But um, what that does is it gives me something to lean into. And uh, it, it, relieve, it puts my, my lower back into a little bit of extension which relieves the pressure on my discs. So it, it actually made a, a system that's much more comfortable for me to sit in for long periods all day, even if I need to. Um, so that, that for me in particular was huge. Um, you know, just, just keeping me out there longer and, and, and you know, I, I'd sit all day in a tree stand, but I'd start to, to fiddle and I'd stand and sit mm -hmm. and stand and sit because I just couldn't stay comfortable. So for me, that's a big one. Anything else, guys? Grew in steps for me. I just use those cheap little uh, $1 screw-in bow, or bow holders I'm talking about, not stubs, mm, bow yeah. and gun holders. They being fine with the front register of any sporting goods store. Uh, I usually use a Cranford one to get the hole started because a lot of times those real cheesy, chintzy ones, Gosh, they, they break. Yeah. So I always start it with a Cranford uh, screw-in gun and bowl holder because they're made out of really hard steel. Mm -hmm. And then I put the cheap ones in there and I leave those. But I'll put one of them to my left you know, a lot of these guys are using these screw-in bow holders where they fold and stuff and put, you know, that's nice if you're in a tree stand because you need it to have it reach out in front of you. But when you're facing the tree, all you need is a little tiny little screw-in bow holder right mm -hmm. to your side. And then I always screw one in on the backside of the tree as well. So if I want to move around to the backside for a shot on the opposite side of the tree, I move my bow over to that and then I can move around on my steps to the backside. Yep. And then I also use one inverted upside down that I hang my backpack because I carry all my accessories in my backpack. And as far as ascending the tree, uh, as you know, what Greg was talking about a minute ago, you know, you, you need a saddle, you need a lineman belt, you need a tree tether. Those are have to haves. 
and a platform or steps for your ring. But as far as ascending the tree, you'd use the same exact things you'd use to ascend mm-hmm. on a hang-on. Yeah. So that would be no different as far as getting up to that yeah. spot. You talked about your backpack. What kind of different setups do you guys all bring to carry in all of your gear? I've seen a lot of different people do this different ways, and, and, and a number of folks asking, you know, how much gear do I have taken? How big of a setup do I need? What do you run, Ernie? Uh, so I hunt a lot of different weathers. Um, so I have different backpack setups based primarily on how much clothing I have to carry. Hmm. Um, in September, I don't need much. The smallest backpack I can get away with and still carry my stuff, but I'm a gadget guy. I still have too much stuff in the tree by most <laughs> people's, uh, rules. But, uh, this year I'm, I'm going to be actually doing something new. We've got a new backpack that's primarily made for our predator platform. Oh, nice. Um, and then the other thing I'm going to be using a lot is in the past, I would always put a screw in holder to hang my backpack on the side of the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a new accessory gear holder that our, that our predator pack marries up to nicely. And the nice thing about that is I can pack for an early season hunt with my platform, with my climbing method and a, a kill kit and the whole thing slips on my back. And then when I get to my tree, I hang that accessory hanger and then hang the predator pack. Well, at that point, the predator is no longer in it. So I've got a big dump pouch right in front of me. I love my pouches on my hips for my phone or whatever, but all my stuff that I need access to is going to be right there in front of me uh, in that deal. As the weather gets worse and worse, my backpack gets bigger. And primarily it's because I don't like to put my clothes on until I'm actually already been in the tree for an hour or so. Yeah. Um, I get up there, I'm cold or at least I'm hot, and then I wait till I start to get cold before I put those layers on. And so I need a way to carry all that clothing with me, have it in the tree, and then when it comes time, you know, slowly start piecing those on. So, yeah, I mean, I don't like to carry more than I have to, but I have to carry a lot as it gets colder. So what about when you're going in to hunt and how you're carrying all of your your stuff in? So the way I run it, and I'm not very efficient. There's some guys who got a really efficient system. I wish I was more like that. I do not have an engineering or gear mind. So I always am like a fumbling idiot. Even when I try to like <laughs> fine tune what I'm doing, I got to be quieter, got to be smarter, got to be like slow as fast and fastest or what is it? Fast as slow or slow, slow as smooth and smooth Thank as you. fast. That's it. That's <laughs> what I'm going for. There you go. That's the thing I'm looking for. Um, see, I, I flub it up even from the outset. Um, <laughs> that said, I go in there and I usually throw my ropes in like two cargo pockets in the inside of my pant. And then I got the platform on just inside my backpack. And then I get my sticks on the outside of the backpack and I'm wearing the saddle, sneak it in the tree. I put the first stick up and then I take a step up, throw the second stick up. And then I tie on my, before I do that, I would, I would tie my pull rope to my platform at the bottom of the tree and my bow. And then I climb up with my lineman's belt, finish everything off, gets up, then pull up the platform, then pull up the bow, and once I'm all set, blah, blah, blah. Um, But I probably take too many trips up or too many trips down or too many things going here and there. I've talked to some people who've got that nailed, how they do it in a really quick, efficient way. Who here has got the best efficient method for going in with a full setup like that? I think we probably all are pretty efficient, but, man, I would kill myself if I had to take multiple trips up and down the tree. I hunt in Southeast Georgia where it is 95 degrees in November. So I have to be efficient and I have to be lightweight. And when I'm climbing with sticks, I'll climb a bunch of different ways, but on public land, I'll climb with sticks. And 
I take one trip up the tree. So first stick goes on, obviously, on the ground. Uh, second one and third one get connected to my hips on left and right. And how are you connected to your hips? I use little uh, rubber gear ties. Like those night eyes? Night type? eyes rubber gear ties, yeah. A lot of guys will make little loops of paracord that just fit over a... You know the cleat of your climbing stick. You loop yep. it in there. You can do it that way. There's there's several ways to do it. And I you're use clipping the them into something on your saddle. Then yep, just with the loop. Clip there. them onto one of yep. the little molly hoops. The yep. molly loops right there on the saddle. It's it's what they're there for. Yep. Um, go up. Second stick goes on off the left hip. Third stick goes on off the right hip. So now my hips are clear. Pull up my uh, or hang my platform just like you do, um, and then climb on tether. Pull bow up, hang it, done. I can go from the ground to completely set up. If I didn't bring camera gear, it takes me an extra few minutes to set up all my camera gear. But if I didn't bring camera gear, I could be set up in most trees, unless it's really gnarly like Ernie was talking about. There's not many branches, not many splits. Five to seven minutes yeah. from start to finish, from womb to tomb, from tip to tail. And best ascension method, in your opinion, for mobile, like going in there with nothing, you like a pair of sticks most of the time, or what's your favorite? That's a yeah. tricky question. It's, yeah, My favorite uh, method isn't necessarily uh, looked at nicely on certain properties. Um, hands down, if I have the choice, I'm using my spurs. Hmm. Oh, yeah. If I Coming have the, the availability world. to use spurs, there's no way to beat it. Um because then I don't care. I'm never going to run out of sticks. I'm never going to have to take more than one trip. I put my spurs on. I walk up to where I want to be, set my platform, stand on the platform, take my spurs off. Now, I've seen this guy climb a tree in spurs multiple times now. He can be up a tree 30 feet high. You pick the height in 30 seconds and you won't hear him make a sound. Gosh. He did it for a living. Yeah. I mean, he is that efficient with it. That's pretty nice. I'm not that efficient with it, but I'm pretty efficient. Taking my time, going slow, trying to be super safe with my set of spurs, I can, you know, 90 seconds, I can be up at hunting height, and I I promise you from 10 feet away, you wouldn't have heard me make a sound. So It's hard to beat. It is hard to beat, but like Ernie said, it's not always legal. So when it's not legal, I, I prefer to use sticks. And this year I'm running Hawk Helium sticks, but I cut them down substantially. They come with a s set of three. I cut them down to 22 inches to where it's just a set of two. Uh, Why? So it's just two sticks for bulk. Like like Andy said, I don't like – I'm small. I'm only five foot seven, So I don't like having the sticks on my back. It, they extend way up above my head yeah. or down below my butt. So I cut them down for um, – basically for bulk, but then I also use climbing aiders because, uh, again, I'm, I'm only 5'7", so I don't have long legs like you, unfortunately. <laughs> My little Smurf legs can only go so high, so I got to use climbing aiders to give me that little bit of extra oomph so I can get to you know 20 to 22 feet, depending on the tree, with only three climbing sticks. So can you explain what you mean by aiders and how you do that? So the, the aiders, they come from the rock climbing world. It's n nothing that we invented. It's not a new thing. I've been around for decades. Uh, but it's essentially a webbing ladder. Um, and how, how many rungs on the ladder can really depend. Like some guys I know, like, uh, uh, they only use one. So they'll just have one aider coming down off. And it's essentially a, a step and an extender made out of climbing rated webbing. 
I use a set of three. So I have three rungs on my aider and it hangs off my stick. So one, two, three. And you connect it where into your stick? I connect it. Um, looped around. Looped it around the top of the stick so I can take it up with me as I climb. So for me, a short guy, when I tie my stick onto the tree, I'm at right about seven foot. So I get about seven foot per stick. That's pretty huge weight savings great. when you figure most guys, if you're using a standard lone wolf stick that you went to Cabela's and bought, you know, it's a 32 inch stick. And, you know, depending on how tall you are, you can only space that thing, you know, 18 inches to two feet apart. So you're not getting more than about 15 feet high yeah. max with that scenario. So now if you're, if you're willing to, to learn and try new things, you know, you can add these little things onto your, your products and make them much more efficient. So when I first started, I was climbing with five muddy pro sticks and it sucked yeah. and, and I hated it. So I had to figure out a better way. And I mean, I didn't figure out climbing aiders, but I discovered it and I love them. Now I won't use climbing sticks without them. Mine's even a little different. Um, in your modification video where you made your hot helium cut downs, you moved the bottom steps. I just cut it off right there. Oh, wow. That's really short. Well, I got the inseam of a beagle. So it's like, (laughs) I I really can't uh, take a high step. And so I use a five-step aider and a really small stick um, because that's the only way I can pull it off. Mm -hmm. And and when I cut that stick down right at the bottom of that second step, it's barely wider than my hips walking in. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you're getting all your height from the aider. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I could find a way to attach the aider without the stick <laughs> that made sense, I'd do that. Right. Has anyone tried like the wild edge steps or any other things along those lines of just different styles, any pros yeah. and cons or thoughts on those? I've tried about every step. Everybody's I've been sent just about everything ever mm-hmm. made on steps and the wild edge are just too bulky for me. You know, you'd if I'm a, I'm typically 25 to 30 feet up to my feet. So wild edge to, to get to that height, you gotta, you know, you gotta have a dozen of them at least, and that's a lot of bulk. Mm-hmm. To me, everything is about bulk. When you're hunting public land and you're bucking brush to get back to places, sticks and all that stuff, to me, don't get it. So everything for me is in a backpack, and if uh, if I'm DIYing it, I'll have a fanny pack, a three pocket fanny that's worn. My my saddle is actually in my backpack, rolled up, it's about the size of a softball. And then I wear a back or a fanny pack below my backpack, and it's got steps in it. We're either rope or strap-ons or screw-ins, depending on public or private. And I'll just spin it around. I'll hook up my lineman belt for my saddle, put the saddle on, put the lineman belt on, and hook up the lineman belt. And as I go up the tree, just put the steps in as I'm going up. And one thing I wanted to touch on on what Ernie said that's really important about saddle hunting is dressing in the tree. You know, you mentioned you deal with weather. I'm in Michigan, so I deal with weather a lot too. And on an all-day hunt, it's not uncommon for me to change out my upper layer of clothing for Mm -hmm. possibly five times a day. You know, early in the morning with my entry, I want to go in light. So I'm going in light as soon as my body cools off, which is still going to be before daylight because I get this so early. My body cools off, then I put on some layers Maybe 10 o'clock, the sun comes up. I start overheating a little bit. I take off a layer. Well, with a tree stand, with a safety harness hooked to the back of your jacket, you got to take all that stuff off to change any layers. With a saddle, you just simply slide it down your waist a little bit, and now your whole upper body is totally free, and it's really simple to change your clothing out. Yeah. That's a big deal. That's a very good point. Now, 
the lower body same challenge, I guess, as you would have with a tree stand safety harness. Yeah, but typically it's your upper body that always has yeah. heat issues. You can moderate mostly yeah. with that. So, yeah. What uh, What about what other things? So we, we talked about the basic gear we need to be dangerous. We talked about the basic uh, ways to get up and down. And I guess, Andy, did you have any different thing uh, as far as how you're getting up and down? You use sticks most of the time, right? Um, yeah, if I'm on public land, I... I run a setup like Greg. I have some modified Hawk Heliums that I really like with a um, just a single loop movable aider that I go, you know, as I climb, I move it with me. Um, and then if I'm on like a permission piece or something, I usually use uh, the Cranford screw-in steps just yeah. in a little pouch that seem to go in really easy. And I've been using those. I think I got the idea from you, John, like, I don't know, 15 years ago. And I've been running those ever since. Yeah. Hard to argue with that. It's yeah. hard to beat them. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to beat them. The so, bolts are nice, though. The bolts, though, yeah. If, if you've got time to to use the hand drill and go with bolts, that's probably the least bulk method that I know of. I it actually, takes a little bit of time to run the drill, but, man, yeah, it I packs actually nice. uh, practiced with that last night um, with the tree hopper drill and bolts. And yeah, so I sent you one. What would you think? Yeah, I, I do love the bulk of it. Uh, or the, the the lack of yeah. bulk. Um, you know, you could fit that in just a little tiny pouch. It was a little more time consuming. I mean, not even a little. It was it was quite a bit more time consuming than say a Cranford screw in. Um, but you make up like going up the tree. It is, but you make up a little bit coming down. You just pull those babies out. You don't really have to unscrew anything. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try it uh, this year and see how I like it. Uh, um, it definitely I can see some benefit there. Whether I'm gonna prefer it over the Cranfords, I don't. That's to be determined, I guess. Mm -hmm. One nice thing about that too, though, is if you're going to use the bolt system, you can go in in August with a cordless drill and pre-drill all your holes. Then when you uh, come back, it's just a matter of dropping the bolts in on the way up, pulling them out on the way down, and you can preset 50 trees and have one set of bolts. So now your time for setup is nothing because you did it all preseason. And when we say bolts, what we're talking about for those that don't know are these are grade eight bolts that are about six, six inches, inches long, down. right? And these are what what do you think it is the breaking strength on those, Ernie? You're an engineer. Oh, I wouldn't know it's off the like top of my stupid, head. It's up stupid there. strong. Like thousands of pounds, right? This is basically like a six inch long uh grade eight bolt. Yeah, it's three uh, eight three eighths inch, inch yep. uh, diameter. So you basically just drill out the little hole, drop in your bolt and, and climb up that way. Go for it. Do you, what percentage of the time are you guys hunting pre-prepped trees with your saddles versus showing up for the first time there? I know, well, I think most of the time with you, John, you have a lot of pre-prepped trees, right? I go into each season with probably 40 pre-prepped trees, yeah. yeah. So the, for the rest of you guys, when you look at the fact that now, like your saddle hunters now, I think lots of times when people think of tree stand hunters, you've got your pre-prepped locations and then, you know, maybe you'll have a run and gun set that you'll go to hop around every once in a while. But if you go into the season saying, I'm a saddle hunter now and I'm not going to do any of that, do you still like to go and have a lot of trees already ready? Or do you say, I'm going to save all that time I used to spend in the summer and instead I'm going to scout or practice with my bow or do whatever else because I know I can just head and hunt. What do you guys do? Well, if I could, I would always hunt a, a prepared tree. It's just easier. I don't sweat. It's it's just easier. Um, but the way I hunt, I I would say that I'm shooting or hunting from a prepared tree. Probably probably sixty percent of the time. Um, 
probably 60-40, I would guess, is when I'm going in blind or to somewhere maybe I have scouted before that I don't have a tree prepared and I'm, you know, taking in my sticks or my spurs or bolts or whatever it is that I'm taking in. Uh, I'd probably say that's four out of 10 hunts. And then six out of 10, I'm, I'm going to a tree that's prepared. But if I'm hunting out of state, I'm, I mean, every tree is, is a, is a run and gun, whatever you want to call it, a mobile, a mobile hunt. So, I mean, it it really is scenario dependent for me. And when I come to, like I mentioned earlier, I'm in the military, so I move a lot or, and, uh, you know, for the first couple seasons, it's like mostly run and gun. And then as I found little spots here and there, now I've probably got, I've been in Georgia for three hunting seasons now, and I've probably got, I don't know, maybe, maybe a dozen trees prepped at any time that I could go in and hunt. So my preferred method is John's style of prepping a tree in advance, but just doesn't always work out that way for me. That's funny because I like the adventure of a new tree. Um, my pre-prepped trees are last year's adventure trees. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't necessarily go prep a tree ahead of time unless it's something where I was like, yeah, I, I really like this area that I sat one time last year and then I may go in and do mm. something like that. But most of the time I'm I do a lot of run and gun and just go and and yeah, my anything that I would call pre prepped is a tree that I run and gun hunted the year before. Yeah. And where are you at, Andy? Yeah. Um I I run and gun often. Um that's at least half the time, you know, I'm doing that. Um, there's some spots that, you know, maybe some permission spots that I've had, uh, you know, for, you know, several years that kind of historically have been like some good rut spots that, yeah, you know, you could sit in that tree during the rut and, you know, it's, it's a quality spot. So I'd say that those are prepped or ready to go. And I'll, you know, I'll go in and trim those, but I just don't have a ton of those, but, um, you know, everything outside of the rut um you know for me it's i'm it's usually kind of on the fly because i'm uh, if i'm moving in on something it's because i just found out about it or i just observed it or it's it's kind of fresh intel so for me uh, you know outside of the rut it's usually a a run and gun in a, a brand new spot that's you know i didn't have time to prep or it would have been too risky of a move it would I've screwed the deer up I was going after. Yeah. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER.
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself. And you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. When it comes to picking trees or prepping trees, at least from my experience, when I'm going in to hunt, whether it's in the summer and I'm prepping it for the season or if it's in season, I'm approaching that process pretty similar to what I was doing in the past when I was going up there with a lone wolf and sticks or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm looking for generally the same qualities in this tree. I'm looking generally in the right, same locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only things that jump out to me as being different out the gate would be, number one, I'm setting up in the tree located a little bit different. In the past, I might have been trying to position myself towards where the deer were going to be or using cover in some way, thinking much more about which direction the tree stand is facing because you're stuck there. While in the tree saddle, I'm primarily, I'm, I'm hanging behind the tree and then I'm positioning myself to have good shots to my left and then all around either side. Um, but I'm curious, one of the things that a lot of people have asked, and I thought about this too, one of the benefits of hunting from a saddle is the fact that you can do what I just said. You can use the tree more easily to, to hide yourself from, from an approaching deer and you can adjust where you are on the tree. So you keep the tree trunk in between you and the deer because of that. Do you allow yourself or do you look at your tree selection differently because you're not as dependent on a bunch of other cover to protect you up in the tree visually? So because I can move with the tree trunk, I can hide myself more. Could I get away with a slightly more open tree than I would want in a tree stand? Do any of you guys ever look at that? I I look at everything when I'm picking out a tree. Yeah, that definitely comes into play. If you look at a tree and it's it's at least 16 inches of diameter, you know you can hide behind it. At least I can because I'm small and you can too, Greg. (laughs) Uh, But I did want to get back. Let me touch on one other thing. We were talking about run and gun. Uh, I killed my biggest buck ever on a run and gun in Iowa because I was like what you were talking. I was reacting to a visual at at a distance. So Mm -hmm. I I did a DIY uh, freelance. Um, When I'm hunting in Michigan, I hunt totally 100% different than I do in any other state I've ever hunted. Our deer are so heavily pressured and... It's hard to do a freelance hunt without spooking something that's going to affect your hunt because there's so few mature bucks. And if you're running gunning and you got to be back in cover where there's, you're going to have any possible chance at a mature buck because everything he does is security cover oriented, uh, running and gunning is very difficult here. Uh, Kansas, Iowa, you know, Southern Illinois, running and gunning is pretty, pretty simple because you can spook deer and it doesn't seem to affect it nearly as much. Um, 
but as as far as the trees going back to the trees that you and also I did want to say this I may have forty trees prepped during a season at the beginning of a season. Um, I pro, it's a rare year that I would hunt ten of those trees because they change from year to year. Yeah. You know, a white oak may have acorns this year, or an apple tree may have apples, or a primary scrape area may be active this year, and it's not going to be for the next two years, depending on crop rotations. So everything changes, entry and exit routes, you know. It, one year, depending on the crop field, my location is next to, my entry route might not allow me to hunt that tree effectively on a morning or an evening hunt, whatever that tree is best suited for. But as far as picking out the tree for the location, uh, there's no question being able, in my opinion, hiding behind the tree makes a big difference. I, I actually look for trees that slightly lean. I like to hunt a slightly leaning tree. And why do you say that? Because it's like standing on a ladder. You know, it's just more comfortable. Your 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 back is more upright, if not leaning forward. Into so a you're, leaning you're tree. saying you're, the tree's leaning away from you? Away from you, like on a ladder. Yes. yes. In a slight lean, on a slight lean tree, because you, I mean, I've hunted trees probably with a 20 degree tilt to them. And when you hunt a tree with that much of a lean, you can't really swing around to the backside Mm -hmm. because gravity takes over and swinging you around. But you can hunt a a tree with five degree lean and not have any problem moving around the tree in any direction. So I like a slightly lean tree. And I, and I gravitate like Ernie was talking. I, I gravitate to big diameter trees where you can really hide you know I've, I've shot deer out of a sling saddle as low as small as four inches in diameter but uh pretty hard to hide behind a four inch tree <laughs> yeah so what about branches in the tree so you know we're, we're trying to look for cover but at the same time you want to be able to maneuver around and in a saddle it's much more mobile and you're kind of maneuvering 360 degrees around it if you've got a lot of branches in the tree coming out whatever which way from a tree stand, most people look at that as beneficial. It hides you in there, and you're not going to be moving around anyways. In a saddle, one of the big perks is the fact that you can spin around and shoot to the other side. But if there's branches in the way, that becomes more difficult. Do you avoid trees like that um, and look for those more easy to move in but bigger trees so you're hidden still? What do you? How do you think about that, Greg? So you, you can spin around the whole tree, but you don't have to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, just because... Uh, you're boxed into a certain you know, zone of the tree based on branches. Well, if that works for where you anticipate the deer coming from, there's no reason you can't hunt that with a saddle anyways. I mean, just like if the if the branches created a zone on a tree that was great for a tree stand, but it was facing the wrong way, you wouldn't sit in that tree with a tree yeah. stand either. You know, so it's kind of like... Just because I can't spin around the whole tree with my saddle doesn't mean the tree won't work. Sure. I mean, if if it's facing the right way, if it's facing that downwind trail uh, just below the main trail that you expect that buck to be running, well, then it's perfect, you know, and you can still do that. But, yeah, like John said, in a perfect world, you do have a tree that gives you 360-degree mobility around the tree. You meant the upwind trail. The upwind trail, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But you don't have to. You know what I mean? It's it's not like it's a deal breaker if you have some branches in the way. Sure, it'll it'll limit your your shot um, or your ability to move around the tree. But you can you can certainly still make those shots, just like you could in a tree stand. Yeah, and I mean, if you're in a tree stand and you've got a tree with a bunch of branches, you're naturally limiting your number of shots anyway. So, at all things being equal, you're no worse off, right? You're, yeah, I guess that's what I was trying to say in a roundabout way. It's you're not really at a 
disadvantage compared to a tree stand. It's just maybe you don't get to use all of the advantages of a saddle setup. I've actually found that that type of tree and situation better for a saddle because um, a lot of times when you have multiple branches or trunks coming up, um, you know, it's hard to fit a big tree tree stand platform in there. And some, you know, you might have to, you might be able to get it in there, but you might have to put it out facing like an awkward direction where you have to stand up and turn to shoot. But with the saddle, I can usually find a hole where I can, because my, my, my footprint's so much smaller, whether I'm using a ring of steps or the small predator platform or something, there's, I can usually find a smaller hole that I can mm-hmm. fit in there. And yeah, you may not be able to shoot 360 degrees, but I feel like, you know, from my experience, I've been able to get into some of those trees even more so than trying to fit, you know, a 24 inch wide, you know, platform up there. So I think this is what I, I think I should have rephrased my question because we covered all really good stuff, but I want to get at the either or if you had to choose, if you've got two trees mm-hmm. sitting in that perfect location, one of them has got lots of shit all over the place. It's going to hide you very well, but it's going to limit the ability to maneuver and get a bunch of different shot angles. And let's say, even let's take wind out of the, maybe, maybe somehow you've got 100% scent control and you don't care. And there's trails every direction around you. There's deer could come from any direction. So you want to have the best possible shot. Um, are you going to pick the tree that makes it? So you are hidden 100%, no question about it, but you're stuck with like one or two shots. You're not gonna be able to take advantage of the really cool flexibility of the saddle. Or you've got this tree that's just a couple yards away and it just has a couple branches coming out. So typically you look at it and be like, oh man, I'm going to be hung out to dry, but man, there's lots of different shot angles from that. I could shoot a deer no matter what. And I'm just going to depend on my hiding behind the trunk. I'll pick that tree every time. I'll pick that. I'll pick the second tree. This is what I'm wondering about. Okay. You just get up a little bit higher. So you're out of their peripheral. I'll pick the second tree every time. And, and even if you're not necessarily able to use the tree as cover, your profile on the tree looks more natural instead of a big blob on the side of the tree like you might be in a hang on tree stand because you're exiting the tree at an angle your feet are toward the tree and whatever else it's a much more natural angle for animals to see it it doesn't strike it as odd as quickly um you're less likely to get picked off i believe in that situation because you know Minus some movement, you could pass for a big branch if you had to. Right. I can say for certain that I get picked off less, like on the profile view. I've had tons of deer look right up at me in a tree stand. But even when they come in from the side, like catch me off guard or something, and, and, and they're seeing my side profile, I've, I haven't had a deer look up at me in a saddle and, and you know, pin me like that that yeah i think it you're exactly right it, you come off looking much Does more natural like tree branch part yeah. of the canopy so do you ever find yourself spreading your arms out out wide <laughs> to, to look even more like a branch no, <laughs> they start a pose like fred, like fred trost did when he was caribou hunting yeah exactly <laughs> interpretive dance on uh-huh. the top of the tree <laughs> <laughs> i'm a branch i'm a branch <laughs> um were you going to, I feel like you were about to say something, John, before I... I forgot already. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to comment on what Andy said. Um, okay. That's really interesting that you guys all agree on that. And that's one of those things, like, even as I, I've been this summer prepping trees, this is the first summer that I've really been prepping with a saddle in mind. And I've been 
asking myself that question over and over again and I'm picking trees and I've been leaning towards doing just that. I'd rather have slightly less cover, but be Mm -hmm. in the right spot and have the shots because I can make up for that with my positioning. It seems like every time I couldn't agree more. I did want to, I remember what it was now with a saddle. I don't think there's any question after you've used a saddle a while and you get comfortable with it, you have no issues going higher. So in a saddle, uh, you know, it's not a big deal if you're in a tree that's kind of small around in diameter and you want to get up an extra five or six feet higher than you would in a hang-on. You know, when you're in a hang-on and you're up 25, 28 feet, you're looking at the abyss in front of you. With the saddle, you're facing the tree hooked with a 7,000-pound rope. You know you're not going to fall, and you got the tree. gives you a false sense of security in front of you also. Also, so I don't know about you guys. I definitely hire since I've been using a saddle than I did in the 70s when I hunted with a tree stand. I was 22 to 25 feet with tree stands, and now I'm typically 25 to 30. Man, I, and I can attest to that because you came out and helped uh, my buddy Dustin and I set up a tree to kind of demonstrate how you set up for a saddle hunt and everything. And I think you're underselling how high you get. I think that tree <laughs> yeah. you got up there, I, I think Dustin messaged me. He range found it. Like from He got out there and ranged down on the ground. He said it was like close to 35 yards or something. <laughs> it, was like, it was way up there. 35 feet. <laughs> it might have been yards. Might have been. <laughs> well, it was and, way up there. I mean, in, in, in my own little way, I'm afraid of heights. I mean, literally, I get that, like, clinched feeling on video games if I get too close to the edge of buildings. Like, I just do. <laughs> and uh, I definitely feel more secure in a saddle at height than I do anything else. Um, because I can feel the tension of the rope. You're There's no slack in the system. It, yeah. You can feel that support. Um you know, with any kind of a normal safety harness, there's some slack built into the system and you uh, are set up so that, you know, you have those gotcha moments where you're, you kind of lean a little bit and then you, you, you kind of stutter step and you're like, oh, uh, you know, not off in a tree stand. You're going to have those little pucker moments over the course of a hunt and you don't have that in a tree saddle because you feel embraced and you feel connected the whole time. Yeah. So safety check that off the list. Like we all feel pretty good there, but now the next issue that a lot of people get to is what about comfort? So many questions that can't be comfortable. Mm -hmm. That looks crazy. Try it. Can you take naps? I get that one a lot too. How's the napping going to say? I sleep all Um, the time. Go ahead, Andy. You were going to (laughs) say, I sleep. I get my tree two hours, hour and a half to two hours before daylight. I sleep until daylight. You know what's funny, John? One of my favorite things I ever learned from you and, and, and this was years and years and years ago. And I've told you before how instrumental your books were early on in my like next step of becoming a deer hunter. And the idea of getting into your tree stands, you know, like two hours beforehand in the mornings changed my life because I had this whole new ritual. I get in there an hour and a half or two hours before daylight. And then it was every morning, the tree stand nap. And it was such a great thing. Like my favorite part of the hunt is the couple hour nap I get before. And I have to thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> well, the br- the bridge gives you a nice little uh, rest your, surface. I, put, rest I usually yourself, put my hand yeah. up and I go like this and I'm, I'm out, you know. Yeah. It's much, uh, much easier to, to fall asleep if that's what you want to do. I know on a tree stand, you know, even with my, my safety harness, um, you know, sometimes you know you've been hunting all day and it's midday and you're kind of just like it's one of those slow days or something uh-huh. you're kind of nodding off and it's like every time you start going forward you, fall and you forward, like yeah. catch yourself you're like uh-huh. holy crap it's that pucker moment. Yeah, that's you know that's, that's the pucker moment i was yes. just talking about yeah but as <laughs> um as far as comfort though uh, real quick um you know 
I, I mentioned early on that, you know, I got into saddle hunting in 2003 or four, but I didn't stick with it because I couldn't find comfort in it. Um, I had, I used an old saddle. It was called a trophy line. Um, you know, pretty heavy, pretty bulky, but it just, um, I couldn't find comfort in it because I, I just tend to be real sensitive around my, my low back and my hips. I get pretty bad sciatica, sciatica nerve pain sometimes. Um, so my journey has been trying different saddles, making my own, um, you know, I actually made one out of fleece that kind of met my needs, but, um, never felt maybe a hundred percent comfortable with it. And then, uh, it wasn't until and when you first, you, you mentioned while we were eating lunch, that you made yourself <laughs> a tree set out of fleece. And then the first thing I thought is like, Andy took an old North face and stitched together and just hung in that thing. <laughs> That's essentially what it is. <laughs> yeah. It terrifies me. Yeah. Well, uh, I should say I did have a, a professional lightweight rock climbing Underneath harness it. as a backup yes. under that. So I, I was Thank goodness. totally tied into that, but, um, it wasn't until, um, I tried the Mantis that I actually found comfort like out of a commercial type saddle. And, and why I chose that one over the fleece, it was much lighter. Um, it's, it's not nearly as, as warm because it's a mesh material, but it just, the way it sits or the way it, it just captures my body. Um, I've, I've been able to be very, very comfortable in it. And that's something for me personally, I've had a hard time finding. And a lot of saddle hunters, can get comfortable in just about anything. And I'm not one of those guys. So for you though, a big thing was having like the back strap yeah. was a big thing for you. What are some other things that you guys are doing to make it more comfortable? I know one thing for me was just figuring out the right height for my tether mm -hmm. to attach. Mm -hmm. um, can you That's guys a huge adjust thing. to that, talk more about that or anything else you do? Yeah. I mean, so to begin with, it's a normal question that it, that can't be comfortable. That's completely normal. If you just see a video or a picture of it and you see this dude hanging out of a tree with a thing under his butt, like, I get it. Like, that doesn't look comfortable. But once you try it and you get your system dialed in, like Andy was talking about, once you get it figured out where it works for you, man, it is like a light bulb and yeah. it just works. You know, tether height. It is a, a trick that you mentioned, Mark, about where do you put your tether height on the tree now what that means is for the for those maybe just hearing this for the first time your tether again is that main safety rope that goes around the tree and attaches to your saddle that is that's your main life support uh like john said it's like a seven thousand pound rated rope it's super crazy strong but where you attach that to the tree i like to tell people to start at around forehead height start there and then you can adjust that up or down I actually go even lower than that. I go to about my Adam's apple, so we're kind of like where my neck meets my collarbone. That's about where I wear my tether or where I tie my tether now. I know guys that tie it as high as they can reach above their head. Uh, so there's no wrong way to do it, but it's important to spend some time in the backyard at ground level figuring that out. You don't want to figure that out 25 feet in the air when a Pope and Young is staring at you. You want to figure that out in the in the season, you know, preseason or, you know, at least in the backyard on the ground where it's safe. So that's important. Where you put the saddle on your body is very important. Some guys like to wear it up high above their waist where they would higher than they would put a belt. Not me. I wear it down underneath my butt, down below where I would wear my belt. Uh, and there's every kind of option in between. But the trick is to set it up in your backyard on the tree, 
move it up and down, squinch it up, loosen it, play with the microfit adjusters, play with the saddle, kind of get it right. And then once you once you nail it, you know that it's nailed and you're like, I got it. This this works really, really well. And the the back support product that we have, the recliner, which is nothing more than a few pieces of webbing. You don't have to buy it from me. Go out and make one on your own. You know, go go in your garage and find some old webbing or old fleece blanket and stitch it up, tie it up. It doesn't have to be fancy, but back support is a really big deal. Ours is pretty cool because it clips into your carabiner and it's got adjustments on both sides. So it's like idiot proof, but you could make one just as easily as you could buy one. Um, but the the back support thing was a huge game changer for me. I mean, once I figured that thing out and I started playing with, you know, support up high, like kind of underneath my armpits for when I really wanted to like recline, it's perfect. And then if I'm, you know, getting ready to, maybe it's, you know, an hour before dark and it's starting to get to prime time, I'll slide that thing down a little bit. So I'm a little bit more ready to take a shot, but there's so many ways that you can get comfortable if you're willing to spend 15, 20 minutes in your backyard at ground level where it's safe and just play with everything you can you can get it dialed in yeah i made the mistake of not ever trying the back uh support last year so i'm intrigued to give that a shot and just see how that changes things it's it's we brought you one um so you can you can try it and it's it's you're gonna like it i'm excited for that where you have where you have it tethered as far as height has a lot to do with your shot opportunities as well. When you get in a tree and you tether it as high as you can reach, if you're right-handed and you're setting yourself up for a shot 90 degrees to your right, you know, that lead is probably when you take a shot, it's going to be in the way of your elbow when you draw your bow. So by lowering the Mm -hmm. lead, the tree tether, also it puts that tether out of the way when you take shots to your to your right to your to your left side or whatever side you're going to shoot and another thing is that it's so much more comfortable than anything in a tree stand because at a tree stand you're sitting in a seat it's got a nice soft cushion but you're sitting 90 degrees basically and with the saddle you can adjust your drape at any moment at any time i probably on an all-day sit will adjust my drape 20 times when you say adjust your drape okay there is a drape adjustment on the lead which comes down to your saddle, there's a real fast drape adjustment where you just, if you're using the rope man drape adjuster or the Prusik, either one. <laughs> we got to get John a tethered glossary <laughs> so he starts using the right terms. <laughs> yeah, I don't keep up with He's that. been doing this for 75 years. He makes so up he, his own words. He knows he's, what he's talking yeah. about. But you, can, you basically can let out a little bit of lead. So in other words, I like to sit with the majority of my weight in my seat. So my butt is supporting most of my weight, like sitting in a hammock in a yard, basically mm-hmm. a hammock seat. Now, when my if I sit there for three hours and my butt gets sore and I want to stand more upright, I just reach up, pull, pull up. some lead up, and now I'm standing more upright. Some guys like to stand with their legs straight, so they've got all their weight on their feet and a little bit on their butt. Well, if it gets to the point where your feet get sore from standing on steps or whatever you're standing on a platform... All you got to do is let a little bit of lead out and you'd be shocked. You can let out just two inches of lead and it makes a world of difference in how comfortable you sit. So you I can mean, change two inches goes times. a long way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a, uh, that's your story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, you say so. That was a softball. I, I know. Somebody <laughs> just knock it I out of the park. Nobody nobody, we all nobody played the cards were dealt. I yes. can't tell you how loud that's what she said. It was screaming in the back of my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was a softball. <laughs> yeah, the beauty thing is no two bodies are built the same. And 
saddles are so adjustable and and maybe one brand works better than another in your particular body shape yeah but play around with it um like we had talked about, little micro adjustments make major changes in how things feel. And the only way you're going to figure it out is playing your yard. Um, I'm to the point now where I can set up blindfolded and I know where my tether tie-off point is, where my rope man's at, where I want the saddle. So within about 15 seconds, I'm in what I would call my most comfortable position. So I, I was asked this, <laughs> continuing on with our innuendo. Someone has said, "What's your favorite position?" <laughs> and um, <laughs> and what? How do you, you kind of alluded a little bit? But when you're actually in there, what do you guys find to be the most comfortable positions to be in your saddle? Because there's a whole bunch of different ways you can kind of be have your feet on the platform on the steps and you're kind of leaned out. You could kind of stand almost all the way upright. You could be in almost like a seated position with your knees against the tree. You could straddle the tree. You could side saddle, go around the tree with your knees. There's a lot of different ways to do it. What have you guys found to be the most comfortable ways to spend long hours in the tree? Yeah, for me, for me, it's uh, because of my my back issues, things get stiff. It's kind of all of the above. I'm, I'm changing positions constantly. Sometimes I'm sitting more like John and I'm kind of more sitting in the in the saddle and then I'll adjust my tether or adjust uh, the the rope man up a little higher so that I'm, I'm more leaning and I'll put my knees kind of into the tree um, you know sometimes I go to the side um, it just it just kind of depends um, but I'm, I'm constantly adjusting but what's nice about it as opposed to a tree stand it's it's all like it's all very slow and it's all very minute and and, and like you guys said it makes a big difference we're in a tree stand. I'm constantly standing and then and then sitting, and it's you know much more movement. But one thing I want to mention too that was a big uh, increase in comfort for me uh, for like for all day sits and stuff. That predator platform made a huge difference in comfort for me. Um, the ring of steps, I, I did that for a lot of years, and and I still will do it. Um, but if I have a choice, um, I go with the predator platform, even though it is carrying a little more weight. Just for me personally. Um, it, it brings my legs together a little more, so I don't have quite the hip pressure, um, and it's just a little more comfortable on my feet. I think I have some pretty weak, sensitive feet or something. And you can, but. and I, I like that too. And you can, every once in a while, you want to just stand up like you're standing, like a normal anywhere tree stand or on the ground, and just having the ability to do that once in a while is really nice to be able to do a couple times a day if you're all day sitting Absolutely. or something. Yeah. And sometimes, you know. I'll stand up the way the way we designed the little predator platform as we call it like a pivot a pivot style platform is I'll stand up on that thing pivot my feet around to where now my back is against the tree my tether is coming over my shoulder and kind of pulling me back into the mm-hmm. tree and I'll just put my back against the tree sometimes and just stand there yeah and I, I'm also kind of like Andy I'll use every single method during an all day sit. I'll stand, I'll lean, I'll sit side saddle, I'll I'll straddle the tree if the tree's not too big. I'll go around to the side and I'll put one knee into the tree and I'll sit that way. And it's kind of like what Andy mentioned about you're making little adjustments slowly throughout the day to remain comfortable. So, you know, if if I'm listening in my car driving to work and I hear that Greg just said I'm going to move around to this position and that position and this position and that position, I'm thinking, oh, man, that's a lot of movement. Yeah. Well, it's not because I'm doing it very slowly. I'm doing it very deliberately. I'm taking my time. I'm not making noise. And I'm doing it every 30 minutes, every hour, every hour and a half. Whenever yeah. I'm starting to get sore, 
I'll move a little. I'll adjust it. And I'm like Andy said, I'm going slow. I'm paying attention. I'm being, I'm being quiet. I'm looking around. I'm not just going to go swinging around the tree. I will say though, like if you are new, like if this is your first year trying to saddle, pay attention to that because it is easy. It's so easy to move around. So easy. It's almost, you could almost like, I found myself a couple times. It's almost like I'm in a rocking chair. I'm not paying attention. I'm kind of just like comfortably like, Whoa, Mark, you got to pull yourself together here. Yeah. <laughs> so You're right. So, it's fun. It's yeah, fun it's to swing around the tree when very it's Very easy to swivel around and stuff. So do remember like, Hey, yeah, you're right. Um, I am much more mobile than I would be in a tree stand, but you have to temper it with slowness, with yeah. the proper timing. Um, and so much of using a saddle well, I'm from my small amount of experience, seems to be timing when you're getting in position for the shot, timing when you make those readjustments, timing a lot of the 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 flexibility of it is very dependent on how you utilize that flexibility. You can really you could screw yourself over a whole lot if you do it, you know, poorly timed. Mm-hmm. So I want to throw one thing in that Andy, I'm I'm like you, I move around all the time, if, probably 20, 30 times in an all day set. Um, but one thing I definitely want to mention to new users, if you're this something new, because I've seen lots of guys set up, but you know, during my workshops, I have people bring their saddles and they set up in them. And they always get new users always sit in a tree where their their back is beyond parallel to the tree trunk. In other words, their back is leaning backwards. And if you're sitting with no back support, if you don't have the back support that you guys were talking about a minute ago, and your back is not parallel to the tree or forward, if it's leaning backwards, you're going to be uncomfortable very fast. If you don't have something supporting your back, you always want to be parallel to the trunk or leaning forward. And another thing is, um, you know, you had mentioned some people like the saddle where it's up above their waist. If you have a saddle and it's up above your waist, what, what that that is kind of detrimental because what that does is it locks your upper body mobility into your lower body where you can't spin at the waist to shoot behind you. Once you bring something up into your lower back, it locks these two together. So you lose that ability to spin at the waist to shoot back behind you. Because when you got that at belt level or below, you can spin around and you can easily shoot directly behind you 90 degrees, if not 120 degrees. And as far as me, when I'm sitting in my cell, my knees are bent probably 30 degrees. So I'm not like... When I'm sitting in my saddle, I'm not like 90 degrees like you're sitting in a tree stand in a seat. My knees are only bent like 30 degrees. One thing that hasn't been brought up yet is uh, knee pads. Yeah, mm, good yeah, point. Great point. I wear knee pads. I used to think, oh, I don't need them. I def- Until the first hunt, I used them. I won't go in the woods without them now. Um, I tend to find myself a lot of times with one knee on the tree both feet on the platform, and my legs at like a 45-degree angle. So I'm kind of in the middle between leaning and sitting. I don't sit flat like you would sit at a 90-degree in a deep squat. So I'm kind of a hybrid between the two. I'm leaning, but I'm also kind of into the tree with one knee for support. And that also, you know, I we all try and set up so that I have to move as little as possible for the premier shot that I'm looking for. And when I'm in that position, I've got one knee on the tree, two feet on the platform, and a rope at my hips. It's hard to get much more stable than that for my setup. Mm-hmm. A couple of questions on, on, last questions on comfort. There's the common, or somewhat common question of hip pinching. 
that's a thing that past pe- people with past saddles have had concerns with. People wonder, you've got these two ropes pulling off either side of your hip, so you've got this pressure point right there, your hip points kind of. Um, is there anything you guys recommend to avoid that, whether it be how you adjust your saddle or what you wear? Or Bridge length has a lot to do with that. That's where it's coming from. And yeah, I, you guys can probably address that for future reference. Yeah. yeah bridge length's definitely one. Uh, saddle sizing. You know, if you don't have the right size for your particular body shape, um, your tether height. Um, the higher your tether is, the steeper that tethered angle is, the more it's going to feel like it's pulling up and the more pressure you're going to feel on the top of that saddle and the more you're going to have stuff around your hips. The lower it is and the more flat you can get that angle. I mean, to a point, right? You don't want it horizontal, but um, to a point. Now, instead of all your weight being in the saddle, you're spreading some of that weight to your feet and it allows you, the saddle is now pulling you toward the tree instead of pulling you up the tree. And that makes a big difference. That does make a big difference. And, and let me, those are all really good points to consider, but there's another way to look at that problem too. So imagine if, if you went out and you hung your tree stand and it's the first first weekend of deer season. You haven't been in a tree in, in a year, essentially, and you went out and you tried to sit all day long. You would be so incredibly uncomfortable. Now, fast forward a month and a half into the season, now you can sit all day because your body has gotten accustomed to sitting in that tree stand and being still and being silent and focusing on your surroundings. It's the same thing with a saddle setup. I like to call it saddle shape because it takes your body just a little while to get used to the different geometry and the different physics. It's different to go from a tree stand where you're sitting on a metal seat versus being essentially suspended and hanging from a rope. The geometry is just different. The physics, it's just different. It's just going to put pressure, support, whatever you want to call it, in different regions of your body. I call it saddle shape. You got to get your body used to it. Your hips got to get used to it. Um, When I go out and I hunt the first time in September, my hips are going to hurt a little bit. And I've been saddle hunting for 10 years. It's just because I got to get used to it again. So don't don't overthink it. Sometimes if you're if you're new to a saddle and it's hurting in the backyard and your hips are getting a little tender, well, that's normal. You know, as you get used to it and you start to figure it out more, you're gonna get it's gonna get better. Um, if it's unbearable, that's a different thing. Now you're probably looking at, you know, do you have the wrong size? Am I tying in wrong? Am I wearing it way too high up above my belt? Is that un- uncomfortable? But if it's just a little uncomfortable, your hips are a little tender, a little sore, that might be normal. And it might just be that it's different geometry and you got to get used to it. And you got to get your body in saddle shape a little bit. The pressure, the pressure hits somewhere, just even on a, a tree stand, like on your, on your sits bone, you know, it, after a while, it's like, they'll start to get sore yep. and you, you relieve it, you adjust, you stand, you, you do what you need to do to kind of relieve that pressure. But when in the saddle, it's real easy to do that by just making some micro adjustments. You just change that pressure a little bit and it takes like next to no movement. But going back off the hip, hip pinch thing, one thing that really helped me. Um, so when I used when I use a ring of steps, um, it's, it's kind of uncomfortable on my feet. So what I tend to not put as much weight on my feet and put more weight into the saddle sitting. And when I do that, um, I usually 
will straddle the tree, which, you know, brings my legs out wider, which kind of makes the saddle, I guess, more dig into the side of my leg. Some people can handle it. It's not a big deal. For me, it, it, it hits like a nerve and it will kind of make my legs go to sleep sometimes. So, um, when I have the choice, I prefer that platform that made a huge difference in comfort to me, not only the bottom of my feet, but just having my legs together, that, that pinch that I was getting on the bottom of the saddle was like all but eliminated. Yeah. You know, so that, that right there for me, um, from a guy that struggled with hip pinch that pretty much solved it. Mm. Yeah. I did. I did find that the platform for me too made it more comfortable. And I would say another thing back to platform if you're coming from a tree stand hunting background and you're trying to go to a saddle, that's a really nice transition. I have that saddle comfort level. Yeah. Your comfort. Let's go. Okay. I I understand what this This is a much smaller version than what I'm used to, but I can wrap my head around this. You stand on that. There's a certain comfort and you can stand up every once in a while and get repositioned. Yep. There was only one hunt all of last year that I was uncomfortable in my tree saddle and it was an all day sit. And was I, your wife in the tree with you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Sorry, thank, I had to throw that. Thank goodness, too. She would have been really mad with me. Um, <laughs> I forgot my platform. I saw I had what I had like, I think I had two random screw-ins that I found at the bottom of a backpack. And I was with a cameraman, and, and the cameraman had to be on one side of the tree. And so I had to be in a tree that was leaning back towards me. Oof. Oh, that's so the tough. tree was leaning back. I had no platform. So I've got one foot on a tree, kind of one and a half feet on tree pegs, leaning back, and it was an all-day sit in the rut. That's brutal. And yeah, so I could never, and I could never get stood up to readjust. And every once in a while, I know I talked to you, I was trying to figure out how to properly adjust my hips still to get the weight coming out at the right angle. At that point, I wasn't quite getting it right, so I kept on wanting to readjust where my saddle was on my hips, but you could never stand up enough to get the pressure off of it to readjust. And so ever since then, I just said you cannot, or at least for if you're going to be in, in wonky trees like that, the platform is really nice to have. Yeah, that was a recipe for disaster. Yes, it was. I just yeah. bad setup. Um, but this brings to mind another thing that I get a lot of questions about, and I have I had some preconceived notions, but I don't know after you guys have talked to so many of the people. What about bigger men and women? Can saddles work for really large people? I mean, when I say really large, I don't know. But I mean, I've talked to tall guys, hey, wider guys, about, girls. Anybody in particular yeah. you talking about? <laughs> no, <it's ridiculous. laughs> but, but I mean, but someone listening might think, uh, is this going to work for my shape and style and, and size? Do you, have you guys talked to people and found like, hey, you know, people over seven foot, this isn't for you. Or people over 350 <laughs> pounds, this isn't not for you. allowed. <laughs> like, I mean, is there any kind of, have you heard any feedback? I've talked to guys that were 350 pounds using it back in the old trophy line days. Yeah. And they had, it, it's basically comes to your ability to climb to the heights to use it. You're right. Because it's going to be just be as comfortable as a sitting in a tree stand for sure. It's, you're just going to have a bigger seat. That's all. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from 
regeneratively raised, grass-fed and finished cattle. Heart and soils. Unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. What are you guys seeing from the manufacturing side working with customers? Well, Taylor, look how big Taylor is. Taylor's yeah. a big guy. Taylor, he's 300 pounds, isn't he? Taylor's like probably pushing 400 pounds. He's a, <laughs> he's no, been out of it he's a giant. <laughs> yeah, and he's, no, he loves I'm, it. I'm just kidding, Taylor. We, we <laughs> love you, Taylor. Ernie, I mean, you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it really, at that point, it's just a matter of finding a saddle that's big enough for you. Um, the materials will hold it, uh, and... If you can find one that's sized right, so that it'll that it will match your body size and whatever else, um, and then it's you know when you try and say it's like a weight limit. Well, I mean, are you three hundred pounds and four feet tall, or are you three hundred pounds and six six? Right, yeah. that those are very two different body shapes. Um, you know, so it's a matter of what kind of fits your profile. But I've seen some really big guys. Uh, there was a, there was a guy and I don't know his name, but he showed up at the uh, showdown in I believe it was Birmingham. Remember that dude in Birmingham? I do remember that dude in Birmingham. I he was that big. Was that memorable? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he was a big dude. I'm big gonna, dude. I'm gonna say he was. He was three fifty. He, he was three us. and a half. I'm nice. gonna say he was he was three and a half. Like if you were fishing, you would have mounted him. And he was a big dude. Girthy three and a half. He was yeah. a big dude. Yeah. Good for him. And he was rocking it. Yeah, I mean, he he got up in in our saddle, and uh, you know, he had tried on a few different brands and whatever else, and I'm sure all of them felt like bikinis on him. But it's like, uh, you know, it's just a matter of what works for each guy. Yeah, yeah, probably a comfort. Just every each individual is going to have a different comfort level yep. with things like that, and it's worth trying them on. Yeah, but I, I, you know, John kind of mentioned this, but at the same time. <sighs> A, a, a 350 pound guy is not sitting on a on a tiny ultralight tree stand either. I mean, that's going to be so incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. But you can do it. I mean, it's all a matter of Ernie hit the nail on the head of figuring out what size works for you and and putting some time into making it work. 
Yeah. And probably the, the ascent, the method of ascension is, is a big one too. Yeah. How comfortable is. do you feel doing a mobile running gun with, with sticks or yeah. climbing up tree pegs or whatever right. it is you choose to do? That might be a factor to think about as well. And, and I would think stereotypically your bigger guys like the, the feel of a ladder, you know, a ladder stand because sure. they, they've got that nice structure that they can grab onto and it's, you're not, as concerned about foot placement on your way up the tree, you've got a big rung to work on. And then when you get there, the seat is big. You've got room to sit in. So I I mean, although we tell everybody to get in a saddle, I think some people just feel a lot more comfortable having a different type of a structure to work yeah. with. You know, the biggest guy that I know of that, that uh, has sat in this, when we first launched, a guy... Uh, a, a fella reached out that was a professional wrestler. I don't remember if it was WCW or WWF, but his name was Braun Strowman, and he's like he just sounds big. He he yeah. oh he's massive. He's massive. He's like six six three seventy. I want he wanted us to make a custom six, saddle for six, him. He's, but wow. we ended up sending him an, an extra large, and it was it was snug on him, but he but he made it work. Um, That's cool. And. Uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine many people that big being willing to climb a tree to 20 feet high. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's a big dude. Like a Brock Lesnar? Like a Brock Lesnar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he I makes can't, Brock Lesnar look like a little kid. Really? I've seen him standing next to each other in photos, and, and he makes Brock look tiny. It's like Greg standing next to Andy at that point. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's that extreme, huh? <laughs> so... So we're, we're, we're safely up in a tree. We've got the right gear. We're feeling comfortable. We've took our nap. Uh, all the things you need to do, you've adjusted in the tree with as there's deer moving past. So you're always hitting. You're seven, eight, nine hours into your all-day sit. Man, this is the perfect hunt. Yeah, this it is. This is awesome. It's Nothing's about, dead yet. We, oh, we, gotta, perfect. we gotta see a deer. <laughs> we just need a 160 to come by now. It's, it's 5.15 in the evening. The sun's heading towards the horizon. The winds sort of starting to die down where you really are hearing the birds chirping again and you hear the leaves crisping and crunching again. You ought to be a writer. <laughs> well, <laughs> I got to look into that. I can't tell if this is uh-huh. a romance novel or a <laughs> <laughs> work. This is the Here comes Braun Strowman with his long flowing hair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're almost to the climax now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then you hear that twig snap. And then that you perk up, but then there's always that second where you're like, is it a squirrel or is it a deer? Mm. And then you hear it again, or you hear the right cadence of the steps. And when you're saying, okay, yeah, that's actually a deer. Now you're thinking, buck or doe. You slowly turn your head, you see it's a buck. You see it's a mature shooter buck. You're going to try to get a shot at this deer. I want to know what is going through each of your guys' minds and what process you go through to set yourself up for a shot in the saddle. Now, maybe each of you can describe a slightly different scenario of how that deer is coming in or what you might imagine. But I'm interested to hear how you, what you're doing in the tree because it's a little bit different than when if you're just sitting in a tree stand. Um, maybe, John, you want to lead us off with how, sure. what, you're, what you're doing, what you're thinking about, how you properly get a good shot out of the saddle. First thing is going to be where am I hunting? If I'm in a bedding area where he could turn and go any direction, I'm just going to keep watching until I know he's going to make a movement to a direction where I may need to move. If I'm at a destination location, like at a primary scrape area, where I know he's going to come into the primary scrape area, I'm probably already set up for that shot because I set up to shoot to that primary scrape area. 
So it totally depends on the location. But let's just say carte blanche, I see a, a buck and he's coming through the timber, through the swamp or whatever. You know, my first mindset is, okay, where do you think your opportune shot's going to be with the way he's moving and the direction he's heading? And then I may at that point, you know, well before he gets close to me, I may move into position for that because it's always best to move into position as soon as you can so that you're not making any movements when they're closer. Mm -hmm. And then if I need to move and make an adjustment as he gets closer and he's going to be in a different spot than what I assumed, then I will make that adjustment. But I'm always keeping my body behind the tree because it's so simple when you keep your body behind the tree to just just barely lean out to the side and take that shot. So it's always it's always keeping my body profile so he can't visually pick me because that's a big, big deal in the state I live in. And then just trying to figure out where he's actually going to end up, where you're going to get your shot and being in position for that shot. And it's kind of akin to the you, – you'll have two decisions like this. When I'm hunting from a tree stand, usually you've got the decision of – and this depends on person, but do you want to be seated or standing? Mm -hmm. So lots of times I'll stand if I'm in a tree stand. I'd like to take the shot from a standing position. So I'll understand at this point this buck's far enough away or at this point the buck's behind this cluster of trees, I can make my movement. So then I stand. Or if I'm in a saddle, okay, this is when I will adjust slightly to my shooting position. And then you've got that next decision of movement, which is when do you draw your bow? And that's going to be something you have to think about regardless of what you're hunting from. Um, Andy, is there anything else going through your mind? Um, are you, or what about feet position? What about, what's the ideal shooting position? Like, should you be knees to the tree? Should you be standing up more fully, lean back? We talked about all these different positions for comfort throughout the day. What's the ideal position for the shot? Well, Go ahead, Andy. Yeah. Uh, I think, first of all, I think, you know, I, I have nothing really to add what, about what you said about as far as what to think about when a deer's coming. I mean, that's pretty much spot on, I think. Um, one thing, um, you know, shooting position, um, obviously, you know, you got your, your, uh, your kind of go-to shots, you know, uh, straight to your left. Um, it's easy to make the shot, like John said, that, you know, kind of in front of the tree where you just kind of you know, peek around just a little bit. And even straight behind you is a really easy shot. Mm -hmm. um, if you're going to go to your weak side, um, that's always been uh, a little more of a, a difficult shot for me. Um, you can, uh, you know, go around the tree, uh, kind of go around the radius and, and come from the backside and get to a certain point. Um, and now with the, with the platform, it's, you know, what I like about that is that I can just kind of stand up on the platform and just kind of pivot, bring my bow over. And it, it make for me personally, it makes that shot much more easy. Um, but one thing I like about a lot of guys worry about shooting from the saddle. Um, I actually shoot really well from the saddle and I think, you know, it's because, um, usually when I'm, when I'm about to make that shot, I try to, uh, you know, if at all possible, kind of try to uh, suck my knees into the tree and try to get more of a, like a, like a wider base. So I feel like I'm, I feel like, hold on, explain that when you say suck your knees in the tree, uh, I, I, I try to make as much contact with the tree mm -hmm. as possible. Your knees are up against yes. the tree. It, uh, up against the tree or maybe even slightly straddling, um, so what that does for me, it gives me a more solid platform. You know, I don't feel like I'm trying to maintain balance from my feet all the way up. It's from my knees or maybe even like the inside of my thighs. Up. So it's much, much less to, um, to stabilize. I feel more grounded to a point. And then another thing, um, too, is, is kind of when you're, you're, 
you know, at least in most angles or a lot of angles, when you're kind of hanging off the, the side of the tree, it, it puts you in that perfect T position, you know, for a lot of shots. That's really important, you know, uh, as a bow hunter to try to maintain that position, especially if you're going to, you know, if you're going to try to take a shot out past, you know, 25, 30, 35 yards, those are long shots with a bow, you know, that stuff becomes super important. And, and, and a lot of times in that tree saddle, it just kind of locks you into that position because your hips are, are supported by the saddle. And yeah, you got those examples where the deer comes in lower, where you have to kind of, you know, compromise that form a little bit. But, you know, I'm like John said, I'm trying to, I'm starting to, to, to kind of ease into the position as I see the, the deer coming, um, I'm trying to anticipate the hole where it's, this is all going to happen. So I'm trying to do that as soon as possible and not while he's standing there or closer to the tree. Yeah. Do you, so based off what you said, would you take just as long of a shot from a tree saddle as you would take from a tree stand to grumbling? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, 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 to, for me, I feel just as comfortable taking any length of shot out of the tree stand, it's all going to come down to the conditions of the weather, the, the, the deer's alert level, what I'm feeling comfortable with, you know, at the time, that sort of thing. But, um, I've practiced out of it just as long as I have just shooting in my flip flops in the, in the backyard and I can shoot just as accurately out of it. Do you think that wind impacts accuracy more from a tree saddle or the same versus a tree stand? Um, wind as far as uh like if it's a really windy day i mean I, i'm just imagining like someone listening is gonna think oh well if i'm hanging from a rope will i be moving in the tree more than i would on a tree stand no. No. no you're anchored in at least by your feet if not more yeah, yeah you can actually anchor in you know kind of closer to you know you know the midline of your body or closer to the bow you can you can kind of you can actually like shorten you know that length from, you know, your feet to the bow in a normal tree stand, if you're standing to, you know, your knees or the inside of your thighs, you can, you can kind of really get tight to that tree and kind of use that more as, as support. Now, I mean, it's just like a tree stand. If it's blowing and your tree's blowing like this, yeah, you know, that, that stuff's going to affect you either way. But yeah, my favorite position to shoot from is with my knees into the tree, at least one. I love to put a knee into the tree, and then I'm, so I'm supported with two feet, my hips, and a knee. That's my favorite way to do it. Um, but kind of getting back to what you talked about a minute ago about what goes through your head. So I think it's important to bring up, like John really hit the nail on the head with describing the scenarios, but you got to keep in mind also that in a, in a traditional tree stand, you can't shoot behind you because the tree's there. So you, you've got, I don't know, 180 degrees that you can shoot in a traditional tree stand, maybe slightly more, but uh, um, you can't shoot behind you in m most scenarios. So in a, in a saddle setup, let's, I like to talk about it from the perspective of a clock. So if the tree's at 12 o'clock directly in front of me, six o'clock is to my back. In a saddle setup, when I hear a deer coming from noon or one o'clock, rotated counterclockwise back to nine all the way back to six six o'clock so 180 degrees right there slightly more is a absolute piece of cake that's the shot that i'm setting up for that's the one that i that's the position i want the deer to come to one of those positions on the clock from one o'clock to six o'clock 
where it comes becomes problematic and you have to start thinking when you hear those footsteps coming is if they're coming from the opposite way. What Andy said is the, the weak side, which is from one o'clock down clockwise to about six o'clock. That's what the saddle hunting community would call the weak side. And there's a few different ways you can, you can execute that shot. John would probably walk around to the top side of the tree and shoot it, or he'd kind of probably walk around backwards and then spin around counterclockwise to make that shot. So that's what I'm thinking when, when I hear that deer coming is which direction is he coming from? Cause if he's coming from, or coming from my weak side where I'm not prepared, I'm going into, okay, which method am I going to use to spin around to shoot that deer? Because in a tree stand, I wouldn't be able to make that shot. But in a in a saddle, I can make it. I just got to figure out the most efficient way, the f- most efficient movement to do that. Uh, hopefully that makes sense. It's kind of hard to talk through without being able to visualize yeah. it. But a clock kind of makes the most sense mm-hmm. for me. Can I throw something in on that? Yeah. And typically, if I'm going to, because I, I don't believe in taking a weak shot. I think that's a ridiculous shot to take. I've taken one in you know, my 38 years of saddle hunting and it was something where there was a big 10 point chasing a doe and he stopped six yards right directly to my right now yeah right-handed so i had no option i didn't have time to move around the tree to lift my bow over and take that shot and fortunately i did it but that's the only time i've ever taken that shot but typically if i see something and it's going to come to my weak side which is going to be my right side as a right-hander you know, I'll move around to my left typically if I have time because once I move around to my left, now I still have the tree as a blocker between the deer the deer and me. So the deer is typically coming from like, let's say, 5 or 4 o'clock. And you are now, as again, as, as the tree is our 12 o'clock, you are stepping around your twelve o'clock from your 6 and you're stepping around clockwise direction around the Correct. tree, swiveling around the tree up to 12. Correct. And then that 3 or 4 o'clock becomes a doable shot. Yeah, yeah so. and I'm keeping the tree trunk. I still have the tree trunk to hide behind right. while he's still moving forward yeah. once I've made that move. Because yeah. if he's moving forward and coming in from, like, say, 5 o'clock, if I move around to my left, or to my right, I'm sorry, if I move around to my three o'clock, then basically my whole Big body spin. is going to be exposed to making the drawing movement when he's within shooting distance. Whereas if I swing around at the 12 o'clock, my body's not going to be exposed. It's going to be behind the tree, and I just lean out to the side and take the shot. Do you need to adjust your tether or your your rope man or your prusik knot at all? Or think about your tether when trying to make that dramatic of a move around the tree? I'll let Ernie take that one. I think it depends on the size of the tree. Exactly. Diameter of the tree. If it's, I try to hunt in a tree that's going to be basketball size or smaller uh, at hunting height. And in that situation, I don't have to adjust anything. If you start getting into a really big tree, obviously, as you circle around the tree, the circumference of the tree starts eating up more rope. Yeah. And that's where things get problematic. And so it really depends on the size of the tree. Yeah, and and John and I were actually saying the same thing. If the deer comes in at at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock, my, it, we call it the weak side because it's hard to make that shot. But what my mind goes into is, okay, what movement do I have to execute right now to turn that into a strong side shot? Yeah. I've got to, John would walk around the top side of the tree to keep the tree in between him and the deer because he's hunting on a ring of steps around the tree. When I hunt from a platform, what I would do is I would stand up, turn around, and then basically I would be like shooting from a tree stand. 
Yeah, because I would be standing on my little platform and then I would shoot at that. Heck, you can almost sometimes, while in your leaned back position, just swivel a whole hell of a lot. Absolutely. Almost be able to shoot to four o'clock yeah, you without can. even the moving first the mule tree. deer I shot in Colorado. I did exactly that. The deer came in to about five o'clock and I just kept spinning. Luckily, he was a little freaking forky and he, he wouldn't have picked me. I mean, a mature buck would have probably seen me do it, but I just spun all around, just like you said. And I shot him at five o'clock just by spinning. Sur- it, it feels a little bit like, should I be able to do this? Yeah. But like, you're surprisingly rock solid, rock solid. as you swivel. Absolutely. As long as you keep your saddle below belt level. Mm. If your saddle was riding Too up high. into your upper back, pull up. you wouldn't be able to spin around and shoot at oh, 4 o'clock because your you. upper body would be locked to your lower body. And also, we let me. I got to touch on something real quick. We were talking about the you know strength of shooting from a saddle versus a tree stand. Anytime you're shooting out of a saddle, you have three solid hard points of body contact. You either got one knee and one foot on a step or your knee in the tree and your weight in your butt. So you got three solid points. When you, A lot of times when you're shooting out of a tree stand, you stand up and you're balancing somewhat on two feet on a little tiny platform to take a shot. So you only got two points of body contact plus you're balancing yourself. When you're against a tree, the tree isn't moving. It's a solid rock hard foundation and you got three points of body contact hooked to it. You hunt bigger trees than I do. <laughs> My yes, trees I move. Do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've been in trees that are definitely moving. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have too, but I, typically I try to find a bigger one. Have any of you guys gun hunted from a saddle? I shot two bucks last year with my rifle so, out of the saddle. So this is another one. People are like, I don't know if that would work with a gun. Any considerations, any thoughts on how that works? I'll it's tell you, I, uh, it's, I use the tree as a brace and then swivel keeping the tree on the brace. Okay. On the I'm tr- a fairly keeping new the gun bull- on the tree. Um I'm actually fairly new at the whole bow hunting gig and uh so for the longest time all I did was rifle hunt. Um from a saddle. Yeah. Yeah. Um and yeah, I had no issues whatsoever. Now most of my rifle kills are in bow range. So I mean it, it could have been bow hunting or whatnot. Um one thing though that I've started picking up that I just think is a lot of fun. I haven't been successful at it yet though is uh saddle hunting with a handgun hmm. yeah um because it's that whole bulk weight everything right i can carry that handgun on a chest holster i got nothing the, even a bow is big compared to that right. everything right and so i can sit there with a handgun and there's no weak side there's no movement there what because i can take that gun under my bridge over my bridge back side yeah. of the tree front side of the tree turn around i don't have to move at all to make the shot with a handgun now, I haven't been able to kill anything with a handgun, but in my mind, that's how it works. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, f- for those who've been out there with a rifle, any do you, so it sounds like you just use the tree, but as far as rests, anything else? Is there any other, would you ever use the bridge itself yeah. to kind of rest against? Yep. Yep. Something like that. I've Not, shot quite a few deer with a gun out of a saddle, just like you guys. And I yep. use, I typically use the tree as a rest. It's, yeah. it's a solid rest. Pretty good. Well, and it depends and on what you're side. setting up, too. Yeah. Let's say you're in a saddle on a field edge, and you're watching a field, right? So you kind of know where you're expecting to see animals on that deal. You can take um, one of those two-part swinging uh, bow hooks. You know, they're, what, 10-inch sections? Mm-hmm. Screw that into the tree at a height 
that you think is appropriate, and now you've got actually a bar you can lay your rifle right. on for making the mm. shot across the can or That's across smart. the field. I never thought of that. It's like the uh, mobile running gunner's ladder stand. Yeah, it yeah. absolutely gun rest. <laughs> or a table in the woods. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Only from a guy who would make a table in the woods could we get that kind of great little tip. But yeah. it uh, it does work. Um, you know, and you can have yourself a real stable arm to lay your rifle on if you can predict I'm going to be watching this field in this direction. Right, that's a great idea. Yeah. So we took, so I shot two two bucks this past season out of my out of my saddle, and both of them. Let's go back to the clock analogy. One of them was at nine o'clock. I mean, that's like a that's the saddle hunter's bread and butter right there. That's that's what you live for, and that one was so easy. Now that it was probably only fifty yards away, so I mean that was really easy. Uh, the other one was at I'm gonna say seven o'clock, so I had to spin away from the tree a little bit. And that one was slightly more difficult, uh, just because I felt like I was balancing just a little bit more, pivoting away from the tree, but still it was only a thirty yard shot. I mean, I could have made it with my bow and with the three hundred wind mag. I mean, I only had to get close to the deer to kill it, yeah. so it was uh, it, it wasn't hard at all. I, I could imagine maybe swinging away from the tree to shoot at say six o'clock, freehand, and a longer shot might be a little difficult. Yeah, that might that I don't know if I would take that shot, but. Oh. You know, if you could manage to, like Ernie said, and hunt somewhere in front of you where you can use the tree as a brace, it's definitely doable. Well, and if you had to shoot a deer at six o'clock, all you got to do is move spin around, around the tree. Yeah, and, spin around. Yeah. yeah. True. Use it that way. Just let out a little lead and you can do whatever you want. Yeah. True. So we've got the shot. We killed the buck. Hmm. We climbed back down the tree stand or down out of the tree, gutted him, took our pictures, went home. Now we're going back and chatting with all of our buddies and our friends and saying, holy smokes, Bill, this thing actually works. It's more comfortable than I thought. It's easier than I thought. It's lighter than I thought. It's quicker to get up in the tree than I thought. And I don't need to buy 20 tree stands next year. But then your buddy Bill gets one and he tries it the next year and he gets back. He's like, oh, man, this went wrong or this went wrong. This wasn't as cool as I thought it was going to be. All these little mistakes that first-time saddle hunters might do nipped him in the butt. What is a thing or two you can think of as far as a common mistake that we can just nip right now and make sure that those common mistakes don't get made? I think Greg hit it right on the head earlier. You know, you need to practice in your yard first to weed out all those mistakes before you ever get in a tree and hunt. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's normal that you would encounter those types of things, little things, because it's different. I mean, I, I always like to think back to the guys that were first using the old Baker climbing tree stands or when you when you transitioned from a recurve to a compound bow. You had the same naysayers. Oh, that, that wheel bow never worked. My my recurve's tried and true. I know exactly how it's going to weigh, blah, 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 blah. Same, same old stuff. So – you just have to you have to put some time into figuring out your system. If you take a climbing tree stand and the very first time you go out in the woods and put it on a tree, you don't know how the locks work, how to make it safe, how to make sure it's connected right, how to do it quietly, you're going to spook everything in the woods, you're going to scare them all away, and you're probably not going to be very safe and you're going to be uncomfortable. It's a learning curve. So you got to spend a couple of sessions in the backyard shooting your bow at ground level. If you will do that, if you will spend two sessions in your backyard, 15 or 20 minutes a piece, 
you will work out 99% of the kinks right there. And then it's going to take you a few hunts to really work out the rest of that little tiny bit that you have left of the learning curve. But you can figure out most of it in your backyard in 30 minutes. I, in my opinion, I could be I wrong, agree. but I, that's, that's been my experience with most folks. I think a lot of guys expect comfort immediately. They expect it, you know, they hear all these benefits of it and, and they get it and they try it on and they, they get in the, uh, you know, try it in the backyard and it's like, you know, it's pinching my hips or this isn't comfortable or, you know, like you said, not only do you got to get in saddle shape, but it's real important to get it dialed in and that mm-hmm. takes time. You know, and, and you got to you gotta do that before you go in the woods and hunt. Right. Don't figure that out 25 feet up Right. when the Pope and Young is looking at you. Do it. Do it ahead of time. And it's worth just reiterating. I know it's been said several times, but little tweaks in how you tighten things or how you position things make a big difference in how it feels. So, like, that, making that little adjustment that Andy mentioned, it might just be just as much as tightening something half an inch. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, it's a lot better, but it's, if you think right out of the box, it's going to be perfect, you know, no, because it's made to adjust for all sorts of different body types and sizes, right? Like you're supposed to adjust it to you. Yep. Yep. And that guy, you know, going back to your example, the guy who went out in his saddle the first time and didn't like it, um, (laughs) he's comparing it to how many years has he had to dial in his climbing tree stand, right? When you first bought a climbing tree stand, it wasn't perfect, but he's he's used to that now. He's dialed in. He knows how to use that stand. Now he's going to try something new and expect the same efficiency and the same comfort out of a new product, and you're just not going to get that. It, that that's going to come with time, and I, that's where I think a lot of people just aren't patient enough to, to, to think about the first time they had a climbing tree stand. I mean, my first climbing tree stand was a tree lounge. And if there's a louder, more awkward stand to put in the tree than that, I don't know what it is. <laughs> but I hunted with it for years and got to be where I could do it. Um, then I moved into some other brands and whatever else. But you have to use this stuff and get familiar with it so that it becomes muscle memory, like a process. You're like, okay, yep, this is how I do this. This is how I do this. I'm in, I'm in, I'm going. You don't think about it and you're already in your comfort zone. But that doesn't happen the first day. Mm-mm. I got a question for you, Mark. Why didn't Bill ask his buddy to show him how to use it? <laughs> He's a stubborn bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Bill wanted all the trees to himself. He didn't want the guy to figure it out. Because the first thing I tell people is uh-huh. throw, you know, put three or four targets out around the tree you're going to practice in. Put some steps or platform 18 inches off the ground. Yep. And just shoot it all the different, just practice shooting at all the different targets. And then you're 18 inches off the ground. You just get out and get your arrows, get back in it and... Just practice. That's exactly what I tell everyone. I practice right on the ground at ground level shooting. And you'll work out most of the kinks right there. I'll add, though, take it one step further and practice ascending, too. Yeah. With your whole get up. Because you don't want to be practicing hanging all your sticks and pulling up your platform, pulling your bow and your backpack for the first time on opening day. No. You know, you're already running an hour late and your wife was mad at you and you're stressed out and you forgot your rangefinder and then you don't remember how to get all these things up. No, get that taken care of in the summer um, or at least a couple days ahead of time. I mean, last year I got my saddle just in time, um, like two days before I left for my first hunt of the year. And so I took it out, went out for like a half hour, climbed up into a tree once with it, got comfortable in there, shot a few times. I'm like, all right, I'm going. And I killed a really nice buck three days later and yeah, felt great. That was awesome. Um, so it was really cool. I sent, I sent a saddle awesome. to my brother last year. He wanted one. He was going to hunt in Kentucky and 
I told him the same thing that I tell everyone. I said, make sure you set it up in the backyard, practice your shooting, get comfortable. Of course, Jackass didn't do it. He he threw it in his bag and drove to Kentucky and went out and hunted the first afternoon just just Cold. in the thing. And then at the end of the hunt or, you know, during the middle of the hunt, I can't remember, we, we were talking every day, but he's like, Greg, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, I was comfortable in this thing from the moment I put it on. I I don't know, Ernie, maybe you could add to this, but I would say probably at maybe four or five out of 10 guys say have that experience, that it was perfect right out of the gate. And that's not just with our particular models of saddle. That's just kind of saddle hunting in general. Yeah. You know, maybe 40 to 50% of guys kind of get it right away. And then the other half or, or 60%, you know, maybe it takes a little bit longer. I was in that 60% where it took me some time and some figuring to get it done. Sounds like Andy was in that same 60% where it took him some time and some figuring. So it's normal if it's uncomfortable, if it hurts a little bit, if you don't get it, it's normal. But those advantages that made you buy the thing in the first place, they're still there, even if you don't figure it out right away. So keep that in mind, you know, man, this is going to make me more efficient. It's going to make me lighter. It's going to make me quieter. It's going to make me, give me the ability to shoot around the tree. Remember that as you're trying to work through these things and figure out your system, that if you can figure it out, it's going to make you a better hunter. I find that, uh, I don't know how to really relate this to to any word other than I can say if you kind of come in for a fitting, people get it a lot faster. Yeah, I find this like all with a knowledgeable time. person. Yeah, yeah. Meet up with somebody who's used it and knows how to adjust it and whatever else. I find this all the time at trade shows, at saddle demos, at anything where a guy can try it on. Because I can look at somebody and be like, okay, you need this size. Here's how you put it on. Here's how you do it. Sit in here. And then I'll walk them through a couple of the adjustments and and they can feel and witness, okay, this adjustment does this, this adjustment does this. And usually within five minutes, they're dialed in. But you're not going to have that quick of a transition on your own. Yeah. And it's interesting from the opposite side of it being the friend showing to someone, and I alluded to this at the beginning, but this is one of the only things pieces of gear i've actually been like excited to like bug my friends about like i'm like <laughs> dude you need to try it like come i got it in my truck come come try it on just try it on seriously you're gonna like it like vegans crossfits right. and saddle hunters <laughs> and they like to tell each other about the fact that they uh-huh. do it it's it's something else so here's the last question and i i asked my audience the listeners what kind of questions they had for the saddle hunting gurus and the most widely requested question that we need an answer from was this, and I'm going to have us all answer at the same time. So you say, if it's a yes, say I. If it's a no, say no. So I'm going to ask the question, and then we're going to go one, two, three, and we're going to answer. Okay? Can you pee from a tree saddle? I. I. <laughs> you can do one and two from a tree I was just oh. going to say. I was going to ask about you that want, next. You want some podcast gold. Let John describe that process. <laughs> John, oh, no, please, please don't. I, get I sick. will not describe that process. <laughs> but it's possible, huh? Oh, I've done it many times. All right. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. It's a Ziploc bag. Real careful <laughs> placement. Ziploc bag. And one other thing on safety I want to throw in real quick. I have had two different uh, fathers come to my workshops with their kids, teenage kids. One was a girl, one was a a 12-year-old boy. And 
the mothers would not let their kids hunt out of tree stands. They would only let them hunt out of saddles because it was safe from the moment they left the ground to the moment they got back on the ground. And the one girl that came, they were from New York, dad, and he brought his daughter and they were after this one big eight point and she ended up shooting it on an all day sit in the rain. Wow. He didn't even want to go. She said, dad, I want to go. That's we got to awesome. go today. You got to give me a rain suit. And she ended up killing that big old eight point. It was, it was awesome. That is great. <laughs> we had an instance, uh, not that long ago, a couple months ago. And, uh, we had a bunch of people around and we're trying on saddles and we had somebody in a saddle who had never been in one. Um, we didn't know at the time necessarily, but he had a, a health issue. And in my backyard, in a saddle, he went into a full it, epileptic it the, seizure. It was in the shop. Yeah. It, it was on a concrete floor. He went into a full epileptic seizure. Um, zero control of any of his body parts. He kind of swung forward into the post did his thing. We were able to kind of lower him down and whatever else, but that saddle kept him upright and off the floor. Well, and and to add, he was not a, a small guy. He did not have the inseam of a beagle. No, he, he's two. <laughs> this 50. is a big dude. He's he's two fifty. If he'd have hit the ground, it would have been a it yeah. would have been bad. So it was very fortunate that he was his you know testing out that saddle. Wow. My mom was really paranoid. This was that mom that was a like helicopter warrior. And so the only place I bow hunted for most of my younger life was right behind our house. We had three and a half acres. That's where I learned to bow hunt. It was our three and a half acre property. And um, we had a good number of deer and a few bucks here and there. But on her life, she would not allow me or my dad to put a tree stand up back there. You had to hunt from the ground. But if I had a tree saddle back when I was 13, I would have had a hell of a lot more bucks on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have been spinning around like uh-huh. a ninja. I'm, I'm tethered, Mom. I'm attached. Got nothing to worry about. Are you an only child? <laughs> no. I was the oldest, though. Uh, yeah, I was the first. So with that, uh, unless you guys have any other final thoughts you want to add. I got something. What do you got, Andy? Um, there's a, a couple maybe for me that might might even be some of the, the biggest benefits out of a saddle, and I'll make it quick, but um, <clears throat> I I guess I don't have any one type of style the way I hunt. I often hunt from the ground. Um, I often go into um, an area where I think a, a good deer is, and I don't have any plan as far as what tree I'm going to be in, if I'm going to be in a tree, um, you know, uh, access, all that stuff. And uh, – with with the tree saddle, what I like is that I can wear that in, and I can, uh, without a problem, I can sneak through a standing cornfield without getting caught up on every stalk. I can sneak through marsh grass without making all kinds of racket of my my tree stand, um, you know, catching on the on the cattails. I can get into a spot and hunt from the ground and wear my wear my saddle. And I did that last year and, and almost killed a a great buck in Ohio. Um, I can carry my, um, my heads up decoy and I can have the saddle on and I could, you know, set that up, get 20 foot up in a tree, or I can set it up, hunt from the ground and have everything I need on me or in my backpack. And I don't have to worry about taking this big 12 pound stand off and, and setting it. Or, you know, if I spot if I spot a buck bedded, and this might not happen often, I could stalk him if I want to with that thing on. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when we used it in, in Nebraska, Nebraska is a perfect we example. Had, we had those saddles on 
we were prepared to get up in a tree. We were prepared to glass a buck and sneak up on it. We were prepared to sit on the ground without any extra bulky gear that's catching on stuff. I mean, you can adjust, uh, you know, you know, if you're hunting on the ground or still hunting, all that stuff comes into play and it's all in a very small package that's with you without the the bulk and the extra weight of a tree stand. So that really fits my style. Well, I don't always get up in a tree, but I always have it on. So the option is always there. Well, what from our camp to where I ended up shooting my buck in Nebraska was over two miles, right? Yeah. If I had been carrying a 13, extra 13 pounds stand bulky with me, would I have made it that far? Or would I have been like, ah, screw this. <laughs> I'm just going to stop at a mile and a half or something. But instead, I was wearing my saddle. I made it the two, two and a half miles or whatever it was. And then I spotted that buck and then I made a move. And then I realized there's no tree to get set up. And so I'm going to hunt from the ground. But I didn't have to worry about all this other stuff. I could just squat right into that cedar tree and super duper flexible. And then I killed that deer. Perfect example. Um, Great yeah. point. It's a fantastic point. We were with the other day, Ernie and I were in Iowa with the hunting public, and Zach Farrenbaugh made that exact point, but he added a little caveat to it. He said, if I'm carrying that tree stand and it's and I'm going deep, he says, I almost feel obligated. Yes. Like, I took it. Yeah. Well, I got to climb the tree and hunt totally out of it, that. right? Yeah. And he said what you said, Andy, that, you know, I'll wear the saddle now, and I'll walk in, and if I find a place on the ground— I don't feel bad about not climbing the tree or feel pissed off that I just carried yeah. this boat anchor back here yeah. for, you know, two miles. I I think it's a really, a really versatile, it's versatile, but it's, it's good insight to hear that, you know, a golfer doesn't carry one club, a saddle. You don't have to be weirdos like me and Ernie <laughs> that we only saddle and John, like we only that hunt that way. A golfer carries more than one club, right? So if you get a saddle, sometimes it'll work for you and maybe sometimes it won't. You choose it when it makes sense and choose it or, or leave it at home when it doesn't make sense. But the way you, what you just brought up, Andy, was really, really good about, you know, you could hunt from the ground. It's really a versatile product. Yeah. And I will say for like in my position, having just started last year, after one year of using it, the where the where I've settled as far as where I see saddle hunting fitting into my repertoire moving forward is where I have tree stands already up from prior years, I'll keep hunting them because they're there, they're ready to go. But I from here on out, hunting new locations, whether it be mobile or even when I'm prepping spots, like this year I prepped a new farm. And I only hung one tree stand because I wanted to have one tree stand for like a new hunter maybe who didn't have a saddle, just something. Otherwise, who fully was that settled. loser? <laughs> that was Don't, Bill. Yeah, it was Bill. <laughs> Poor Bill. I got a question for you, Mark. Yeah. And you're the perfect guy to answer this because I remember last year when you did a little five or ten minute dissertation after you used the saddle. Yep. Um, you had questioned how well it would work with a camera, and you found it to work huh. very easy with a very camera because a lot of people question. out there use cameras. Really good question. Yes, that was one of my big question marks leading into it. It sounded like, oh, it's going to be tricky. But no, it actually worked better because (laughs) when you're self-filming, you've got this camera arm that has to attach to the tree. And when you're sitting against the tree, that camera arm is off to one side of you. So for me, I typically put up my right side so I could hold my ball on the left and I could adjust the fluid head with the right to film. But when you're in that position, you can film, you know, let's, okay, if we're using the clock idea again, but now I'm sitting with the tree is now at my so the tree's at my 12 now. I'm facing the six. I could film, obviously, from a six to nine. I could film, 
maybe to 10 or 11, but she had to spin all the way around. And then going to my left, I could film easily five, four, three, two, one. But anything behind you, you couldn't wrap the tree arm around you because there's only a couple feet of length on arm. So really, you couldn't film past three o'clock because you are in the way. Mm-hmm. So with the tree saddle, though, I'm leaning out away from the tree. So now that arm moves inside of me. So now I can wrap around the tree much more either way to film. Yep. Never got in the way. And it was actually better than from a tree stand. That's my experience too. I've been filming my hunts for three seasons now. And I mean, I hate carrying a camera arm and it's stupid and bulky and I hate it every, every year I say, I'm not going to do it. And then I do it again anyway, but I have never once felt like the saddle got in the way of filming. It was, it was always easy. And again, you can maneuver around it more too with the whole fact you can move in the tree and the saddle better. That's another way. If for some reason the camera arm was in the way in my tree stand, I'm stuck with it. Now I can just swivel, adjust, shoot around it. Well, and I've heard a couple of people too that if you have a dedicated cameraman that don't even bring an arm, they bring a shoulder mount camera because the saddle itself gives you so much flexibility to maneuver around the tree that you don't need the arm necessarily to make those moves mm. as uh that's how greg yeah, at thp's doing it. that's how they were doing it yeah oh you're saying for the guy who's filming so if i'm a cameraman yes i don't bring an arm anymore because i can actually just you're doing that use the body to adjust yes. and exactly that's slick. yeah it yep. seems like a lot of movement to me but maybe not i've never tried it but you know Interesting. Depends yeah. on where you're at. Yeah. Kansas yeah. or Iowa, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> just jump in the saddle with you and you just choke them out. That's right. Oh, somebody did ask me, uh, like on a one to 10 scale, how much more likely will my wife be into me if I use a saddle to hunt? Do oh, we have answers on that? 11? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've got a second child on the way, so yeah. question answered. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and with that, I think we'll wrap it up. Thank you, Greg, John, Andy, Ernie. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it. And that is a wrap. One hell of a podcast, if I don't say so myself. I hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, If you haven't taken the leap into saddle hunting, you know, we were just hammering it hard for two hours all about it. Um, You know what I think about it. I do think trying them on, feeling it out would be helpful. Feel free to reach out. Let me know what kind of questions you have, what concerns you might still have. Hit me up on Instagram at wired to hunt or go to our Wired to Hunt Facebook page. Leave a comment and question under this post for this podcast. We'll do our best to answer those questions and get you more info if you need it. So until then, I know a lot of you guys are starting your hunting seasons here any day now. Wow, that's a crazy thing to say. I still can't believe it. As you're listening to this, I am either still driving or I've arrived in North Dakota and I'm setting up on a bluff doing some long-distance scouting, and I am pumped. I'm so excited. This is the time of year we've been working towards for months and months and months, and now it's time to execute on that game plan. So I will leave you all with the... Most good luck I can possibly send your way. I'm going to be sending all the good vibes I possibly can out to all of you folks listening. Good luck. Have a great time. Be safe. And until we chat next, stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank, 
hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.